G'day everyone, this is Tractor and welcome to the Gel Ball Gel Soft Mill, Soft Mill Sim and everything else soft podcast. I've got a few guests with me today, let's go around the table. Hello guests. Hey, um, Damien from Sim Supply Australia. Hey, this is Zach from Gel Ball Roost for Facebook. Hi, this is Rob from Gel Ball Roost for Facebook page. And this is Shane from the Donbass team. Yeah, people might be confused about that because you've come oh, here. Oh, we're Kermit. 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 That formerly of like three or four other teams. Uh, I think just one other team. Yeah. Delta Juliet. Okay, you've moved on. It's all good. So, welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Tracker. Yeah, it's good. It's good. So, um, it's been a while since we've sat down and chatted in person about anything, really. Probably over a year. There was kind of a massive worldwide pandemic in the way. So. Yeah, but other people have been talking to me. It's just you guys ignore me. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> Some of us have busy lives. <laughs> I mean, not And then us. there's Zach. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what have you guys been up to during the pandemic? In, in terms of job uh, Actually, I've just been working on personal loadouts and building on the historical gel ballers Facebook group as well. Because you're like the major admin there, the driving force, so to uh, speak. What, there's me and one other guy who's down south, and yeah, we're kind of the driving force for running that one. So You want to pimp it out a bit and explain it what it is to the listeners? Yeah, so if you don't like multicam, digital Yay! cam or rails on your rifle um check out historical gel bowlers it's all about that uh old school aesthetic um from everything from like world war one right up until 93 is the cutoff for us so you've got a whole i guess plethora of um ages there or years mm. of uh loadouts that you can look into um i know beaten vietnam's the big one at the moment mm-hmm. Everyone's jumping on that A1 bandwagon. <laughs> There's a few around now for change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I've been focusing on because you can't obviously go out and do too much. Yep. I think I've played Wake Hole twice this year and that was – sorry, last year and that was it. Yep. Have you played anywhere else much? Uh, once at Donnybrook and then we did the Milsom K5 at Toowoomba as yep. part of Donbass. Cool. What about you, Zach? What's what's your year of gel ball been? Uh, I'm talking a lot of shit on the gel ball Discord page, to be honest. Uh, yeah, well, anyone that knows Zach and Discord. Zach Tron's on Discord. You probably see my uh, endless ranting about various things. Especially multicam? Especially multicam. And also how uh, our team won, EP1. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Damien, have you got anything to say about that? Like, you were there. Uh, I was there, but I wasn't there in any um, <laughs> any any side choosing capacity. And as a character, I suppose I got whacked pretty early on too. So mm. I, I was going to say, Damien, just remember we kind of you know feed you a lot of money just <laughs> just quietly. Yeah, as our dealer, <laughs> ever the diplomat I am. Yeah. Um, so for those of you that don't know what Milsim Supply Australia is, uh, Damo is a purveyor of excellent level Milsim equipment, in my opinion. What do you want to say about it, Damien? Probably nothing. Uh, no, look, I'm a, I'm a man of few words, and the words that I do say are generally all crap. Um, but yeah, that's because no, you're artillery. Yeah, well, that's it. We're used to firing off a lot of crap <laughs> very inaccurately as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, um, yeah, Milsim Supply. We we just a um, uh, a seller of yeah the, the 
a higher echelon quality beer, I suppose, not your Wish and AliExpress kind of Chinese stuff. We, we do uh, pride ourselves on, on better, more serviceable gear. Awesome Supply Australia, we focus on uh, the better quality gear, not your average um, you know, AliExpress and, and Wish type quality gear. Um, we, f- we focus on stuff that's more serviceable and designed for, uh, I guess, more rugged use. Um, yeah, yeah, this it, year, it's not really for your entry level player, is it? Not unless that entry level player is keen to throw a lot of cash around. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's you know it's it's not cheap stuff, but it will last you four or five times the length of anything that it's, that you you buy cheaply out of China yeah. on a budget. So yeah, and that, and there's a place in them. It, it's like cars. Some people will drive a Hyundai. Some people will drive a Lamborghini. It's all about what you want the car for. Exactly what, right. A, a mix of that and what your budget is. Yeah. I've always said if you're just getting started in a sport, you want to buy the cheap stuff anyway to find out if you really like it and what kind of loadout you want to run. Then once you try that out, once you know what you want, you can start to buy more expensive stuff that's going to last for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that, eh? Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's no sense throwing lots of money at something if you're not 100% sure on it. So once you work out how you like to play and you you know get yourself associated with some other players and work out how their eggs and stuff work, then it's time to start thinking about your personal loadout and what kind of gear you want to run. But yeah, it's not something you want to go and drop a huge wad of cash on if you might decide you, that was a bad choice and then you have to offload it for less than what you paid for it. So. What do you reckon, Shane? I think personally as a player, I've, I have bought many of Damien's awesome wares. <laughs> they do cost a bit, but I think for me, it's always a case of, I think I'm coming to my second year of gel bowling now. And I found myself in this big discussion pool, especially when it with regards to EP2, of, oh, what camouflage is belong to which side? And the list goes on. Then everybody gets into this whole debate, discussion, argument about oh, what can't belong to which side whatsoever. In my head, it's like, man, this is going to confuse the average player mm. who want to come into the sport and it's like, I need to dump 500 bucks on some cool stuff to be fully loaded out. Mm. Cry precision, genuine multicam, I think is the minimum start of, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Unless you are really serving, is it really worth that money? Oh, look, yeah. uh, and again, I'll relate it back to a car. If you like driving a Lamborghini, you're going to drive it once a month. It might like, spend the money on what you want to spend it on, but um, if gel ball isn't something you're going to spend the next 10 years mill simming, maybe get the wish thing first. But, if I go back to when I was a corporal in the army, I'd say pay once and cry once. Um, you're better off buying that little bit better than you really want to and buying it once. Even my load-bearing vest today that I still use, it's from the base when I enlisted in 2006. Mm. And I'm still using it 14 years later. Yeah. And fortunately, I don't have to pay a single cent for that. But in any case, I have bought a lot of plate carriers, battle bras, battle belts and everything goes on because I'm constantly telling myself I need a lot I need several this is only me this is in my opinion I have many many loadouts for the many different situations I will find myself playing in gel ball because mm-hmm. I don't want my gel ball experience to be just one just just one event and one feel all the time I want to be able to travel around travel light in this wonderful 40 degree weather that we had at <laughs> K5 and lots of climbing involved just get up fighting, that mountain fighting light was a blessing. Lightweight mm. loadout, 20 kilos of water. 
Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think? I see that there is a resistance to um, used Australian military equipment from the 90s and noughties. Do you guys see that as players that people go, oh, I'm not wearing that? Yeah. Even, even though it's a cheap and really quality option. Oh, 100%. Everyone wants to look like a Navy SEAL, Special Forces Ranger taking out Bin Laden. Um, and, you know, you can get like cheap 90s web gear for next to nothing on the Facebook marketplace. And I think it's, it's all about that image. And mm. uh, I think it's one of those things that is easily obtainable to buy that Wish stuff and multicam and look like that mm. Navy SEAL Ranger and be done with it. There is another side, though, with Australian loadouts, so OSCAM, DPCU, etc. Um, there's no, there's a lot less danger that when you're dressed up in a crazy Russian outfit, sweating away, someone's going to try and think you're actually a Russian soldier and you're stealing their valour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think a lot of people are hesitant to wear OSCAM for that reason because they don't know how it's going to be interpreted. And I've seen Facebook posts that have resulted in massive rants for 25 minutes. Yeah. Because people have gone to the surplus store and bought an Oscan that still had insignia on it, for instance. Yeah, yeah I think the, in the, more, the issue there's more the insignia than anything else. Mm. And, like, I, I don't know about anyone else, but, like, I've spoken to, I know a fair few veterans, and a lot of them don't care about the biscuit, don't care about rank, as long as you're yep. not claiming to be something you're not. Um, I even know guys, like, I'm also into military reenacting, and I'm... I know guys down south who actually reenact the early part of the 2003 invasion of Iraq and he does an Australian SAS impression and clearly not obviously military and he doesn't tell anyone that he's military. He's Mm. doing this to recreate a piece of history because it is now almost history. Mm. And a lot of veterans, he said, are actually cool with it because he doesn't, doesn't try and pretend to be something he's not essentially. It, it goes back to the the golden rule of gel ball, at, and it doesn't matter what field you're at, don't be a dick. Yeah, that's if, it. If you're not a dick about what you're doing, no one's going to have a crack at you 99% of the time anyway. Yeah, exactly. And then don't post on Facebook as well. And, and don't be Zach. I think it's don't. a lot of negative cadet undertones, maybe. You reckon it's from that? I think it is. Yeah. Because mm. I think I, I always get this weird reactions from people when they see a player on the field wearing cadet uniform. Oh, Probably ex- or something ex-cadet stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Because um, we have quite a few um, Army, Air Force and non-government cadets that play here and and I haven't had anyone have a crack at them in their uniform that I've known of. Not, what do you guys think? Nothing that I've ever seen. Yeah. I guess from a, an ex-service perspective of my own, um, I wear so many other different types of cams that I prefer to do that. I, d- I don't like wearing what I used to wear as a job in, in what is now, I guess, you know, a, a, a hobby for myself. I prefer to stay as far away from it as I can. And and you've got that thing that happened in front of the canteen that day. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> stab. Well, yeah, you did stab me well and truly. Um, no, I was dressed in... Um, um, uh, uh, Russian gear at the time and just happened to be come off the field and was um, there was a, a Russian gentleman and his family and he looked at what I was wearing and immediately starting having a conversation in Russian with me and I just had to say look um, I understand what I look like but I didn't understand a single word you said I, I'm literally emulating the uniform and and that is as far as it goes and we had a good 
30-minute uh, conversation, thankfully in English, um, <laughs> thereafter just talking about it and, and relating experiences and stuff. And that was actually quite a, quite a good conversation that we had. But um, people do tend to take a lot of what you wear at face value if they're not familiar with you, know, you or your background or, or anything that you're associated with. So... so is it the ex-military people that tend to have the problem or is it random people that are, are upset on behalf of the military? I think it's, I think it's random people. Random. Uh, it, it, I've found it's a combination of both and it really depends on the service that the person has done and I'm generalising, which yeah. I do apologise for, but I've had a few arguments crop up on the historical page because someone has claimed their service and that's their knowledge and they kind of just uh, ram it down people's faces and mm. when you really look into that individual and their service time you kind of think oh well you didn't do much and you're trying to claim to be something more than you are and mm. it just gets out of control the the one that highlighted it for me recently was a post on your page um guy talking about first armored regiment vietnam era and he was looking for advice and yep. And one of the things he said in that post is, I refuse to wear the badge on the beret because, th for me, that takes it a step too far. And a few people said, and an ex-armoured guy said, no, what you're doing, you're doing it in the spirit of things. And a few people were, were being the guys that have just got out of the army and they're nitpicking, oh, your beret should be blah, 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 instead of going, oh, can I help you with your beret? Yeah, I, I actually, I, I'm one of these people, like, Again, my background comes from World War Two reenacting, and to me, it's like if you're going to do that sort of thing, get the uniform right, put the badge on, bash it right, you know, look 110% Mickey Mouse because you're trying to replicate that uniform, and that's from a conflict that is still today very controversial, mm. and you want to do your best to make it look right. So that's to me, that's what you should be aiming to do, mm. and. Like even myself, like I uh, run my Vietnam rig, I wear a 82nd Air, oh sorry, 101st Airborne divisional patch. I wear US Army name tape and all the rest of it because that's how the uniform was and that's how it's issued and that's how you wear it. Mm. That to me is like the ultimate respect and not doing it that way is the ultimate disrespect. Sort of a paying yeah. lip service. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What is it? Um, um, I can't think of it now, but um. Emulation is the ultimate form of flattery. That's right. Yeah. Or impersonation, I think. Do you, do you think it's cultural to Australia, Shane? Like, if you were back in Singapore, what, would this be happening there if Joel Ball was a thing? I think if it were a thing, I would think it may happen. I don't think in Singapore there's not much of a reenactment community, but you do have a lot of cosplayers, and I suppose that could easily come across into real, like, real military LARPing. That would happen. That will happen. I often describe what we're doing as tactical cosplays. <laughs> oh, at the end of the day, I came from a cosplay world after the military. Damien's had his toes in the water in cosplay. Um, so I can draw a lot of parallels there and a lot of people get upset with that and I'm like, well, you're wearing a costume and yeah. you're playing a game. <laughs> cosplay. I think the tactical cosplay side of things is where the difference between the reenactment side that Rob comes from occurs most because with tactical cosplay it's more about building an impression of something you've got in your mind and want to look like rather than something that necessarily specifically historically existed uh -huh. and you're about much more balancing you want it to look a particular way but you want it to be fairly cheap enough to build and you want it to be practical to use for games 
you don't want to be made out of asbestos like some of Rob's gear. Nothing <laughs> is made uh, out of asbestos. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that one. But there is there is a difference between being an extra on a movie set and getting it right for the look for that than a guy who's going to do functional gameplay in it. Yeah, 100%. Oh, absolutely. I'm more for the function than the looks, but hey, who the looks... I'm working on the looks. I think the looks are fine, in my opinion, for what I have. But it's definitely functionality is the number one thing I need to focus on. Mm. So, like, for instance, I wear G3-style combat pants, and it's not authentic to my loadout, but it's got a fixed knee pad in place. It's always in the right place, so I don't stuff up my knee all the time. And I just know, bought one. <laughs> <laughs> but that that yeah. matches the camouflage that you're wearing everywhere else, though, doesn't it? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. But it's I'm going to wear that every time over something more authentic because... It's more comfortable and my knees don't get stuffed. Yeah. Uh, again, this is like what I was saying. I think it was back in January. There's a difference between what I call an impression loadout, which the objective is to get it as close as possible to the r- real thing. And then there's the loadout, I guess. or Cosplay loadout. Cosplay loadout. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's that's probably the, the, the biggest difference. You, you've, with cosplay loadouts, um, you've got the... F- facility to take it um, a lot less seriously and ha- and not go to the the you know the nth degree so far as getting everything 100% accurate and that's probably more of what you see on the field than anything oh, else yeah, these 100%. Days. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. if if i throw back to working at a supernova as a vendor and watching somebody walk past as lady deadpool no one got upset with that they went all right well that's your interpretation of Deadpool if it was you or a different universe or whatever you want to call it. But I don't think the same happens with our guys and girls. I know it's something that we've always tried to cultivate in the Roost 4 Facebook page is that it's not so much about building specific loadouts because that's pretty inaccessible from the Australian perspective. If you run an AK and you wear some Russian camo, that's usually enough for us. But... <laughs> Usually, and I'm getting a dirty look from Robert. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I was, I was actually agreeing. Like Rust Four as a page is, we're, we're pretty easy going, mm. and even like it doesn't matter. I, I don't think it doesn't matter what someone posts in terms of a loadout. It's usually pretty positive. Mm. Um, I think I've had more flack on the uh, loadout page I than mean, so Rust4. far as the Rust Four page goes. As a community, I think we're on the whole, a lot more supportive of each other's efforts than some of the other social media kind of pages. And Is stuff that like because that. it's so much harder to get the Russian gear that you need? People uh, are willing to be a bit more forgiving? I think that's a big part of it myself. Yeah, and I, think I think people appreciate the effort that's put in, regardless of the expense. Yeah, you're, you're not just ducking down to a local disposal and no. grabbing it. Yeah, and, and the other thing is... You in some ways, you've got a historical excuse with Russian units because there have been periods where, even within a section, you might have guys wearing four different camouflages. And you can just sort of say he that. had to get that one in, didn't he? And it's pretty accurate if you watch some of the. <laughs> it's a long-running joke. Yeah, the Russian, if you watch like the Russian broadcasting, they got documentaries, and you see these units, infantry units, they're wearing everything: ATSFG, your DD Flora. Even back in the war VSR, some squads just run it. Yeah, I remember and trying to look for. Um, some sort of generic Russian helmet to see what they were. And all the guys are laughing because they know exactly what I'm talking about. But I challenge anyone that's out there listening, like anyone can jump, grab a fast or a bump or a mic or a whatever helmet and they can pretty much do whatever they want with it in the NATO-y world. Uh, and that's impossible in the Russian 
technically you could actually use any one of those like helmets yeah yeah Yeah. for russian as well but multi-cam ski yeah Yeah. yeah. like that's just like there's just so much russian equipment and it's all different unless you're Mm. actually trying to do something specific like i'm talking maybe just generic russian infantry guy is probably that one of the hardest to do here Mm. you know because there isn't a generic and like, no. So in our squad, we've got a guy who has an Alton helmet. I've never seen one before on anyone else. And, and Altons are fairly common in Russian units in certain periods. But if you want to get one, too bad. That's the only one you ever get. <laughs> yeah, there's $400 you never want to see again. Yeah, that's for a cheap replica too. That's not even a good one. <laughs> yeah, a, a, a damaged real one starts at like 1200 bucks. Yeah, yeah. And, and no Chinese airsoft company is going to make that for you. Well, it's been in PUBG, so maybe they will. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I remember there was a blaster that um, I ordered back when I was doing some retail stuff, and it came with a little PUBG thing. What, what blaster right, was that? Yeah. Wasn't yeah. that the, one of the original Car 98? Something like that, yeah. There's been a bunch that have had them. And it, it just amazed me that China would think that's what we want. <laughs> like, have you done any market research? No. <laughs> Um, so, obviously, the Russian weapons, we've got lots of AK, AKM, AK-70, blah, blah. What do you think of the variety that we've got now? Compared to, like, at EP1, we had the RX-AK, and that was pretty much it. It'd be really nice if so. <laughs> <laughs> you made me swear again. I was just going to say, it'd be really nice if we could get some uh, crew-served weapons like PKMs or PKPs. But yeah, so Tac Edge or one of your big guys, you can you can have a crack at that. Well, there was an RX... Um, not an RX there was uh, an RPK. Yeah, RPK posted up. So. Yeah, yeah, but apparently it's just got a normal barrel length, so yeah, I don't want it. <laughs> Imagine the cylinder you'd have to have for the real barrel. Uh, I, I was, I've been spitballing <laughs> the idea of building a proper RPK for a long time as... Ooh. Zach probably knows because I've put it up in the chat so many times. Um, I ended up needing a 60-centimetre barrel, and even then that wasn't going to be able to put a hop-up on it because it was still going to finish <laughs> inside the outer barrel. Um, and in the end, I just said it's going to be too hard. Mm. But with these uh, uh, new Azraels, I might be able to squeeze it out. I think I might be able to work it. If someone does an AK-12, you might be able to do an RPK-12 because that's got a short barrel configuration Ooh, for yeah. urban. With the bipod still? No, yeah. uh, I think they've got the normal style spring jobbies that everyone uses. All right, somebody get on their phone and show me a picture. Because I was looking at this, um, what was it called there? Um, AK-4 or something that this airsoft company was doing and it was supposed to be the best of the AK and the best of the M4. And I think they took the worst of both and mashed them together. With isn't a hammer. That, isn't that the Mark 47? No, no, this is worse than that. Oh, I don't even like the Mark 47. I'll find a picture of it. How about a 9mm EQ that we yes, saw Yes, please. Is it Vitsiev? PP20 or the PP19, depending on the year. The PP20 has some ergonomic improvements over the PP19. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry, Melody, your improvements are asbestos. <laughs> <laughs> It's not asbestos, it's canvas. I'm just Googling yeah. something here, see if I can find I mean, it. Kind of, kind of segue into it. So you're talking about Russian gear and I think the NATO stuff has been fully well covered yeah, over, over many, many uh, yeah. months. As we, we were I'm, cha- al- I'm always one f- to look for camos that are not really out there. I'd even which like is to not easy to get either. Yeah, I'd even like to see like more full-length rifle, like battle rifles. 
like M16s in A4, A, well, we've got them now, A1, A4 and A1, A2 variants, or at least the upper receivers for sale would be nice. They're coming. Yeah. So it's Christmas. Yeah, about then. Oh. <laughs> SLR. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, everyone wants an SLR. If you could just buy that so everyone on the historical page will shut up would be really nice. Have you not seen the photos? Yeah, I keep posting them for you. Yeah, yeah but that doesn't help People's us now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the problem I've had is somebody's now gone to that person and said, oh, can we get an L2A1 as well with the magazines and the bipods and the... And, the, and I'm like... Can we get a little... Like, this is not forgotten weapons. <laughs> Did you ask for the SAS variant with the 203 underneath the as well? <laughs> like the short barrel and the extra yeah. handle. So to answer your question, there's a lot of AKs, but there's not a lot of anything else. So it would be yep. great to see other stuff, but like we're just like an out. SKS or something. Ooh, SKS would be nice. Yeah, yeah that'd be cool. PP two thousand. PP two thousand. Yeah, it's like a the PDW drum. thing. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe PPSH or. Uh, maybe PPSH. Maybe. Yeah, I might put rails on it. Oh, bison. <laughs> no, no, we need bison. Bison. Yeah. bison yeah. bison. Like bison. We had the bison. Yeah. Is that I mean something that we could sort of do with a oh yeah, with a fake magazine and build it from an AK that exists? Probably yeah, could, some, actually. someone's actually done one on the Rooster Facebook page with three D print parts and some PVC pipe, <laughs> but it actually <laughs> looked really legit. Oh yeah, yeah. it looked really, looked good. See, this is what I miss. This is the element that I miss from cosplay. Like when I started cosplay, there was no such thing as gel ball. You bought a plastic toy gun from Kmart. And went at it with a Dremel and some polycaprolactone and you built what you wanted. And things like buying oh, the Giselle handguard or what, it just didn't exist in Australia. You had to fabricate. With the explosion of the gel ball and its popularity and, and it becoming more and more mainstream, I think we've seen a lot less of the mm. individual's ingenuity in making those kind of things rather and has been replaced by a demand of we want this, we want that. The industrial yeah. revolution. Yeah, see, I see somebody go, oh, I did this build, and I'm like, you just fitted parts, mate. Like, <laughs> like let's be honest, <laughs> you didn't build something. You, yeah. you bought a lot of things that are meant to go together and you put them together as they were designed. It's a jigsaw puzzle, it's not... Creation. I don't know. Like, Timmy Rails is a build, right? Uh, I don't know. Like some of I'm the AKs, if you watch the guys build, like especially when the Alpha King first came out, because it was a decent <laughs> AK, everyone well, was hacking. Was. The fr- well, <laughs> was was hacking the ends off to make you know B11 parts fit and all that sort of mm. jazz. I think that was that was probably the highlight for me, and now it's gone down again. Mm. In, in the early days of playing gels here at Mill Simulage, Mill Sim. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's go with <laughs> MSEV. Uh, you know, I had my uh, rocket launcher made out of PVC pipe yep. and a drain blaster. Yeah. And, it was and like people a, still talk about that to this day because, it, yeah, you shot somebody in the face at like a metre <laughs> and really upset the world. But it was, it was something to talk about. Something you could have a beer and sit down and go, well, what else? Mm. Yeah. And I think people are afraid to do that in gel. They're, they're afraid to create from scratch. Well, I think when you're dropping like six, seven hundred dollars on a blaster nowadays, especially if you want a metal receiver, it's kind of like, do I really want to take a Dremel to this? I, I will say for me that when I bought my Azrael AK and experienced like the full metal chonk, mm-hmm. I, I was like, I'm never buying a plastic blaster again unless it's cheap. And you bought one, didn't you? I've, uh, I've got. I've <laughs> well, <laughs> I did. Yeah, I've I did some. buy a cheap one the other day. Yeah. That so SLR is real. That SLR AK is really solidly put together. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's been a big step up from what I own, the MST, the Alpha King. That was just solid. The MST seemed to come and go very quickly. Hmm. Or is that just me? There's been two generations of it. There was like the launch ones. There was like the launch ones that were way cheaper and the same quality. Yep. Then there was the second gen. The STSs. Um, yep. Yeah, which have rails and stuff and were $50 more expensive and are the same oh, quality. Oh, because rails. Yeah. 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 Tactical. It's not tactical if you don't have rails, obviously. Mm. So with all this, where would you like to see gel go next? I'd like to see it shooting... Um, a Makarov. <laughs> yes, please. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> gels, gels that are six millimetres and made of plastic. <laughs> You're such a Zach. Yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. Dude, there won't be the gel pop podcast. Then it's going to become the airsoft podcast. Oh, there's enough airsoft podcasts. Yeah, a lot. Uh, but seriously, do you want it to go airsoft or are you happy with gel doing more? As, a, as amazing as airsoft would be in every way the insurance and field issues mean I think we'd see a lot less places to play than we see now. Mm. Yeah, not only that, like, I think it's going to be a very hard push. Mm. Like, I've, I am a shooter as well and for a long time and it's taken a long time for us just to go from basically having Qatar replicas, which were for a very long time, had Extremely to be extremely hard registered firearm for something that didn't do anything. Mm nearly I think five, six years for them to turn that around. Mm. So to me I I can't see Airsoft ever being allowed to show up basically because yeah. it won't be just Queensland it'll get affected. That'll be mm. that'll be countrywide I reckon. Yeah, one of my biggest fears when the gel ball Queensland changes were going in is I, I was echoing, echoing that to everyone saying if we're not careful anything that's a CADAR weapon will become a restricted thing for gel ball and you need to understand that that means M4s and 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 will all be a problem for us. Yeah, it, um, and that didn't come to pass, thank goodness. Yeah, um, but I wanted opposite, to, I, I wanted to be the voice of reason there to remind people that the firearms industry has had a big problem with this. Yeah, look, um, if you're not in anywhere near firearms until gel blasters, you really need to sit down and have a look at some of the firearm stuff because it's the exact same thing. We are all lumped together. As much as we want to think we're different, we are very much not. No. Yeah, just don't start talking about ammunition, especially with the new presidency coming. <laughs> That's a long story. Let's not talk about politics. Yeah, no, we, we do don't. enough shit talking. <laughs> especially Zach. So Someone's got to pick up the slack for demo. With, <laughs> well, we're used to that. So with the proliferation of the um, blowback pistols, what do you guys think about blowback rifles being a thing or a possibility or a reality for the average player? Fix mech cap. I don't think that they're going to be reliable enough with the realities of gels and that they're soft and squishy to be a practical solution for games. How about a friend running the, the car on the field today? Hopefully he got some good kills. Well, well he had a car 98 on the field. I'm not sure if he managed to shoot anyone with it, but he could probably bayonet someone with it. It's long enough. Yep. I think for the gel pistols, though, especially with these TTIs that you just got the high cappers, they're pretty promising. But for pistols, they're probably what we call the most reliable ones. Although I didn't stay long enough to see um, one of our friends out there shooting the Mac, the Mac 10. The Mac 10. Yeah. yeah oh, the, gla- the gas one, yeah. Yeah, the gas one. Yeah, that seems to be not too bad in terms of gas. Sounds more like gas, an A10 but, but yeah. Every time I look 
turn a direction. Someone's complaining about a gas pistol, and I'm like, I don't know if I really want to add that to a <laughs> rifle just yet. Yeah. And I think one of the appeals of gel is that it is really cheap to go out for a weekend. Mm. Ten thousand gels for ten bucks, and yeah, or, or buy an M one ten for a thousand bucks. But th- as soon as you put in gas and parts to repair your gas after it breaks, your cheap weekend suddenly becomes a lot more expensive. So you guys think that there's a very limited place for GBVR, yeah. or is it just the mill simmers will get into it, and the average players won't really adopt it? I don't think the mill simmers will get into it because I don't see it sustainable for carrying around in the field overnight, getting dirty and dusty with gas seals and stuff. Yeah, it'd probably be all right for like pickup games, but that'd be about it at this stage anyway. I don't think that the, the market in Australia has got to the point where it is wide enough to support uh, gas blasted development for very long. Gas is an extremely cool toy but it's not a practical field device. Would, is the Lee Enfield evidence of that or evidence against that? That car 90, I haven't had experience with the Lee Enfield, but the car 98 was better. Like it's reliable and it shoots well, but it's still ejecting a shell that you don't have to pick up. Mm. And, and that's the one thing the Lee Enfield doesn't do. There's no shell eject, but it starts at 450 FPS. Just need more 40 mils. Accuracy accuracy is always going to be the thing. If we can't do range, we need to do accuracy. 285. Do you remember those days? (laughs) Steve Gamble. You listening, Steve? He used to say that you you could never get a gel to go past 285 and be accurate. Well, that's the thing. I remember when the field started here and we were shooting Melkies and the accuracy, even when Armatex first came out, the improvement to the gameplay was amazing. Uh, it went from being you fire half a mag at someone five metres away to you fire ten gels at someone <laughs> five metres away. And now that there's AKs and stuff which are even better, it's, you can usually hit someone fairly close with a burst. And that's pretty playable and was results in pretty good gameplay. And I'm happy with that most of the time, unless there's wind. Does that suit you guys for Milsim and Milsoft as well? Or do you get, like, the whole, my mag's got a thousand rounds in it, like a movie mag, does that affect your gameplay? Well, I think that has been solved with um, just limited issue of gels at the start of a milsim anyway. Yeah, I think Toowoomba really nailed it. Like, they don't, it's not enough. Last time I played at K5, um, I was only able to fill about, I think, two and a half of my um, Alpha King mags. Now, that's not a whole lot of ammo when you think about it, and you can't just obviously go hosing down everything because it's not going to last very long. And if you run out of your ammo, you can't just walk back to your speed loader and fill it back up. Mm. Yeah. You have to conserve that ammo, and, and that works really well at the mill sims we've been to. If you think back to EP1, um, how did you feel about it then? Has has your position changed on limited gels? No, limited. I think limited for mill sims, limited gels is pretty essential because otherwise you can, everyone's going to be carrying two-litre container in their backpack with 10,000 gels in it. and It becomes a reason to fight. Yeah, a reason yeah. to fight, a reason and to a do reason things. And a reason not to fight. Yeah. yeah. I, again, I think Toowoomba's really hit it on the head with their um, rule set because you can even dump after when you do your battlefield clearance, you can dump your enemy's mags out if they've... Uh, um, not, got not dump, you have to... You have to um, take their mags, not just dump it out, but you take can steal oh, their, their ammo. Yeah. Yeah. But you can steal their ammo and you can... 
No, I think no. The first one we went to, you people were dumping it because yeah, they were the, taking the, so much. The first much. one I remember, they were talking about yeah, dumping. Yeah, they, they changed it after that. Oh, really? Okay. Because like somebody dumped out like some ridiculous amount at one game. Yeah. yeah. I feel bad about dumping out six mags worth of gels on the ground for no mm. reason as well. Yeah, even if they're supplied by the event, it feels wasteful yeah. knowing yeah, yeah, how yeah, much yeah. they cost. That's right. Yeah. I just um, do. Yep. Sorry. I no, do, no, I sure. do. I do my best to make sure I don't have any gels for the enemy to take off me. <laughs> and I was actually pretty happy after K five because I used all my gels. I was. I got. I just forced myself to get into contact situations and use all my gels. Constantly fought. Constantly had to do flanking maneuvers with the all four guys. I mean, it was an enjoyable last day. I know you guys weren't there, but I had a blast. A blast yeah. of the time. Mm. When you're in the heat of battle, in inverted commas, does that change? how you feel about the gels in your mag do you go well this is my last stand i'm going to use everything i've got before they can take it off me yeah sometimes just depends what sort of contact you're in and how much you know you're about to either be very dead or you reckon you can walk out of it at Toowoomba, you're usually thinking about how you can uh, get to your ied before someone comes (laughs) along (laughs) oh that was fantastic that was fantastic (laughs) don't tell me russ four flipped on someone <laughs> oh. uh, we well, at least they didn't leave early. We were I've told a cheeky breaky. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cringe. Good. No, it wasn't. It was awesome. No, oh yeah, that was pretty cringe. So cool. Um, for the record, they had it coming. What do you think should be the most important element of a mill soft that should be removed from? Instead, like at a milsim, there's very specific things that we go, yeah, you've got to have this, you've got to have that. What are the things that we can do away with to have a milsoft to get the entry-level player to to have a quality experience that says, all right, yeah, this is something I'm more interested in. I'm going to go and dump some money and time on training and better gear and go to K5 or go to where it comsims. Or Tactical gameplay is more or less the same. Um, respawn mechanisms possibly slightly faster or compressed and you're not carrying gear to sleep in the field. Yeah, I think getting that information out as well, like for K5, um, I don't know if it was ever said, but I missed out that they were not sleeping in the field. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. I so didn't know that. That yeah, apparently, same thing here. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that actually was information that was put out or if they made the decision at the last minute not to do it. I think, so it's, I think it could possibly was a vote majority because I think before K5, this started to become a thing. Especially with most of Blue Force sleeping on, on campsite. Yeah. But even off I had option to just be out of game. Because like I had a, a, a poncho liner and a hoochie ready to go mm. and I yes, didn't same. even have to need, need it or drag it along. And like the less stuff I have to take, the always better I feel. But, mm. but they say there was a safety thing because people weren't putting their glasses on. on yeah, oh, and it was a stinking hot weather, so it's good yeah, to be so able I to think it was have a break and hydrate yeah. too. Because yeah. I think they didn't want... Yeah, it's definitely a safety issue because it was a 40-degree stinking day. Mm. I think um, Rob sort of touched on it just before in terms of it may have been put out, but he didn't see it. Most of the mill sims we've been to have had the information required spread across a whole bunch of different channels, so Facebook pages, discords, forums, wikis, etc., and unless you're staying on top of four different things, you're going to have info that you miss. And mm. so that's been something that's been done pretty badly by the community as a whole, is having a single source of truth for the information at that event. Yeah. Oh, the other one is rule changes. Last-minute rule changes. Mm. It's like, can we just have 
could the guys who were the major players who all work together to run these Milsom events get together and maybe write one set of rules that you all can use? <laughs> nah. It'd, it'd be really nice. That'd be like getting rugby players to play AFL. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I'll say to for just write some rules and leave them the same until the end of the event and then change it. Even I, if it was just the, the respawn rules would be fine. <laughs> but I mean, every field's got a different rule around if blaster hits count or not. Yeah. So it's like... But I think and with K, f- now coming back to Milsov in K5, just to draw comparisons here, K5 was identified to be a role-playing scenario-based Milsim. So obviously there's no particular end game inside of whatsoever. There's no winner. Yeah, there's no, yeah, the end game, there's no winner, no loser kind of a thing. But at the end of the day, the players have got to work for it. It comes to this Milsov that we're coming in, considering that the mountains will be fighting our tropical cousins. The, the apes versus the, the coconuts. <laughs> no, no, that's something that Shane brought up. He, mm. he said, "I want to be a coconut," and I'm like, "What?" Oh, <laughs> hey, uh, I'm digging. Of, have I'm you not seen the, the flags? Yeah, I'm digging the patch. <laughs> I said it was Africa core, and he's like, "No, no, that's a coconut tree." Uh, Rob will be part of the Africa. Core. No, Rob that, will be part that, of the that's uh, Anthony. You're thinking of, buddy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, back to the question: Was what thing that should be in the mill soft? I don't know whether you're thinking of a kind of an end state. No, no, it's something that you do in mill sim yep. that should be removed to to make Millsoft more accessible. Definitely armor. Armor, definitely no. I don't I think, think armor's a required thing. They don't a simple run. medic system. I think that's sufficient. Yeah, I think you just need simple gameplay rules to get the average player who's basically been playing at Wake Old, Donnybrook, wherever, and then transfer it into. Uh, I guess 12-hour day, get up, have breakfast, go into the field, do maybe a couple scenarios, even if they're slightly scripted a little bit. I think it's got to be scripted. Loose, well. Loosely scripted. Maybe have a break for lunch or have a have in-field lunch and then mm. that gives you a bit of, you know, that military Millsoft, sorry, Millsim. There's so many words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, element where you've got to harbour up and have your lunch and not get obviously bumped while you're doing that mm-hmm. and then keep going until the afternoon then come in have a meal together you know have drinks together if that's allowed or you know just if make it a social event i think that's the big one like so milsoft will be like i don't know if i could let Russell be allowed to have a drink at an event again uh we didn't throw up at ep <laughs> 1.5 that was jake i don't know who it was but there was somebody on your team nope not not a your oh, faction. Oh, I think you mean the trader team. <laughs> oh what? no! Wait, wasn't that that squirrels guy? I don't know. Uh, I, don't know. I lost track. I just know that somebody threw up in the car park. Oh. Role play, and I'm like, <laughs> I think role play should stay and should be in the mill sort. I actually give that an immersion. I very much agree with role play is a great thing because if you've got a relatively simple rule set that facilitates the players engaging in role play, they'll inject complexity into what's happening. And you would have seen that at EP1 where uh, due to made up stuff by the players, it ended up with two NATO squads in a tent and held hostage by a grenade. And yep. that, that never would have happened as scripting or organised. No. And it was an exciting story that everyone had oh, to tell. Role playing again, killing the NATO HQ at K5. You did that? Yeah, I was. We did. You were yeah. the IED. I no, I wasn't the IED man. I was the. You negotiated our entrance. They did yeah, I was the ranting, raving grunt who had been messed around for two hours, who just wanted to come in and have lunch, 
Or I don't have the freaking password. Just fucking let me in. That is literally what happened, <laughs> and we were let in, and because of that, we ended up blowing the crap out of their HQ. They did a Chewbacca. They had a hostage um, in undone handcuffs, and they walked him into the basin, and the hostage had no idea. Was, yeah. I think he was as so told. You should have done the Thor thing and go. Let's do get help. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, he's hurt. He's hurt. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was actually a really good kill. I call it the murder suicide pact. There, there was a lot of really good role play, but at the same time, a lot of people, particularly on a certain faction, no, oh, here we go. The, oh, so the, them again. It, it's, it's the called, NATO faction. All right, I'm going to uh, make you wear multicams one day, just to piss you if off. If you buy me some multicams, I'll wear. <laughs> I'll buy them off Wish for you. <laughs> I don't think they go up to my size on Wish. Yeah. But um, a lot certain people don't seem as willing to engage in the role play side of things. They're real trigger happy. From and, my experience. and that's that I certainly ha- that found has that there were a lot place. of people who were like I just want to shoot people a lot and I don't want to be doing all this other I stuff. Well, they can play speedball for that. I think it was my probably my second or third milsim where I've been really really disciplined in my rules of engagement. I did not really shoot anyone until the moment we defected over to the good side. Yeah, you know, and that's the only time I really just let loose. At your second milsim, though, didn't the squad wipe out a village of civilians at the command of your squad leader? Yeah, uh, yes, that one. But his, let, <laughs> his former squad. I will let him uh, defend himself in that situation, but a lot of people are just having a good giggle over there. So I'm you gonna, have no knowledge of the incidents. In I'm going to throw a demo here because obviously people that are meeting in the military have got a very interesting perspective on rules of engagement. So. A lot of players don't understand what it's like to be in the military and to be um, on peacekeeping or peacemaking or some of these humanitarian missions where, like the guys that went to Somalia and Rwanda, they had terrible rules of engagement that were, you can only shoot if. Um, And that's one of the things that I wanted to bring when I was designing EP1, that can I shoot or can I not? Will Will I be like the SAS guys and going to a court afterwards? What do you have? You got a feeling on that, Damo? Uh, yeah, I have feelings on it. Um, well, each place in Jelbul. It's place in Jelbul from a from a, I guess a gameplay scenario perspective um, is probably something that needs to be included within the scenarios, but it's got to be a fairly limited scope. Um, I think the the biggest problem with uh, in quoted commas. Uh, scenarios is implementing them within a fluid game style with a large field and a lot of players it's very very difficult to do and have it have any serious repercussions to the larger gameplay environment Um, you can have it affect a small group of players that are dealing with whatever the thing is right then and there very easily and that will create some you know good memories and stories and everything else for those people um, but that doesn't uh, expand out to the greater, mm. you know, background story or mm. whatever with any particular relevance or, or yeah. um, you know, repercussions so far as the gameplay goes. So with that being said, we lost all of our gels when that particular war crime was committed. <laughs> yeah, we lost all our gels. All our gels mm. were confiscated by a min. So I think that, to me, that was a, that's a fair consequence. There's got to be consequence on the field, and mm. a role-playing environment will definitely play into and it. And I think that builds into the reputation of a squad, but it doesn't affect a strategic-level game is more what Damo was... Yeah, that squad has an interaction, and they talk about it when they go home, but it's not something for everyone. What, hostile civilian population? In the context of K5, 
with a bit more imagination, that could have had a really big strategic effect because where the IED went off was in a large fortified complex that um, Blue 4 had been holding and raining down fire across the valley during that time. If you used admin to say, hey, that bomb's gone off um, in the left-hand side of the complex, I've put up a piece of police tape, the entire left-hand side of that complex is now unusable because it's been blown up. That's a great strategic consequence because then the defending side has to switch their defence. Um, they've got a big hole in their defence that the other side can exploit. Stuff like that's really interesting, but it requires a unconventional, unconventional approach yeah. and a degree of suspension of disbelief. And if yeah. they want to repair that site, they need to get supplies in, they need to secure their MSR, and yeah. that allows us to end. They could have even yeah. just made them all respawn right again, like kick them right out of the fob and say, yep, you've got to fight it back. You've got to fight back for it. Start again. Mm. The insurgents have it. I think you just got to have some imagination was and be quick on your feet. Not being at K5 myself, was that um, that uh, lack of forethought on that a result of them not expecting the events to unfold as they did? Yeah, I think yeah. 100%. I don't think... Um, yeah, I, I don't think you can predict everything a player no, might yeah. do in an event. Especially and, and something like that. We do have... Uh, Donbass does have a bit of a rep of um, scenario breaking. So. <laughs> and going home early. Yeah, fair call. But we still win. <laughs> <laughs> you can't win when you're retreating. But NATO Except just sits in the battles. <laughs> <laughs> we won all the first battles and then we get hammered and went home. Americans still think they won the Vietnam War, so... Yeah, God damn it. Because <laughs> <laughs> Delta very, very... I don't even think the North Vietnamese won that war. Nobody won anything. Yeah. No. Probably a lesson there about the nature of war. <sighs> Let's talk about Sun Tzu then. <laughs> Hashtag. We've got to talk about more schwerpunkts. More what? Schwerpunkt. <laughs> means centre of mass as defined by Carl von Clausewitz. Oh, good. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Hermit Goering and and and, und, and No, no, we're not doing that. Bin Maybe if we do a historic gel ballers podcast, we can talk about that with Rob or something. Oh. That yeah, would, if you want. Or somebody that's really dry and uninteresting. Like me. I yeah. can find yeah. someone like that. Yeah. Can we all agree that a Millsoft needs to be simple enough? It is an entry level, it is definitely an entry level event yeah. that you want to feed into, obviously, a lot of other Mills events that yeah. happen across Queensland. Yeah, I think that's it. Just have like simple general. rules, simple gameplay, something that anyone can rock up to and then just basically be like, hey, these guys are doing Russian stuff. That's kind of cool. Like AKs, I might hang out with them. Ooh, mm. How's the one page rule? Contest coming along. I've got three entrants in the one-page rule, um, and ironically, they are very, very different approaches to a rule set, which, which I find really good because it makes me go, all right, well, this part of the community really values this in their play. This part thinks this is important. Um, and obviously, when you're sitting in a room with a couple of other guys trying to write the rules and go, oh, well, what do people think out there? It, it's easy to make assumptions about that, and they make an answer you and me. So I've heard you say in the past, um, I forgot where I was going, so disregard. Oh. <laughs> What's that? You want to retreat and go There's home? There's a floor charts. <laughs> Microsoft Visio. Uh, you still use IBM? You're showing your age there with that <laughs> reference tractor. Yeah, I lived through Y2K, remember. Half the audience is like, what? Why to what? Hey, yeah, I was alive. Yeah, I, I, was all in, of us I was in... I'd already been deployed once when Y2K happened. Oh, that would be a Timor trip then, wouldn't it? Yeah. One of the first ones. Yeah. Did Yeah, I did Spitfire, Warden, Tanager, the whole shebang. It was good. The armour was awesome. 
Let's talk about Molly. Oh, Molly. That was the first exposure to Molly. Was oh, when we yeah. got to Timor the first time because we got all this American um, body armor, mm. and it was basically a plate carrier that was just the plates. It was like a real fast, and we had to wear that over the top of the webbing we had at the time. We had to wear this. We had to wear that, and it was terrible. And it was all ju- it was all woodland camo X, like I don't know where they got it from Bosnia or something. But it was terrible. <laughs> And nobody wanted to wear it. It's just wheat. Oh, it's just wheat. Yeah, and they were, like it would have been about six or seven kilos worth of plates in them. And like this was nineties technology. The first stuff we actually got was stuff that we had left over from Somalia and Rwanda. It was those IDF. It, looked, it was a a really puffy high neck. Yeah, the, the IDF Hazjet or PASGT knockoffs. And, and we yes. had we had American Pazjet helmets that we're all carrying at the time as well. I've still got my helmet cover for that, but um, <laughs> Damien's having a laugh. Anyone knows I was a QE at the time, so I've got heaps of stuff. Speaking of helmet covers, yeah, looking for some Digiflora stuff. <laughs> I think with this grey job stuff, that's not going to happen. My oh. helmet's just do you, green. Do you want to talk about that or not, Damo? You can say no. Don't um, have to. Yeah. No, look, I mean, um, um, anyone that's, that's dealt with me knows that um, for the maker. past 12, 12 <laughs> months or so, we've had a, um, um, a, a, a reasonable proportion of, um, of grey shop Russian gear through the store. Um, that is about to dry up. Um, grey shop have changed uh, some of their... Their policies are now including GST and VATS taxes in their prices. Uh, but what it's essentially done for um, retailers that bought bulk off them um, are no longer able to. So our uh, supply of that stuff's about to dry up pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, there's no, there's the no point importing a $300 item and making a dollar off it. No, or, or worse, having to buy at normal retail prices and then putting a percentage on top. No one's going to buy those either. No. So, it, and there's DHL and all that to add into the mm. the mix and run. You pay rent and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's complex. Sad face. Yeah, so I've got a sad face. Tam is a good guy. Yeah, he sells <laughs> a lot of good gear, especially the Russian gear. Yeah, and kudos to Damon if he didn't bring in the Russian gear. For those of you at home, Zach's in the distance making comments. No one can hear them. If Zach, if you can't hear it in your earphones, <laughs> nobody can hear you. What? I, I can hear certain people in the industry going, thank Christ I can't hear him. <laughs> and I know who you are. Mm. So Trev, so far as uh, stuff that's coming, what are you most excited about? Seeing oh, you've been asking all the questions so oh, far. <laughs> everyone knows I'm a foul boy, like... I've still got a picture of me with an SLR doing the bear pit at Kapuka as an instructor. Um, and this is well after the style was in. We were in F-88 SL for one territory and the recruits were carrying those and they were whinging about how heavy the style was. So <laughs> I went down to the main Q store and I went, I know we've got one of these in the historical collection. And they're like, oh yeah, we've got a dual purpose one too, in the armoury. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I went down, got that, signed it out, Got my bayonet from back in the day, fixed that on, and I taught uh, the bayonet fighting day that day with an SLR, and they're all just going, now I understand what high port is. Yeah, that makes more sense with an <laughs> SLR. Because, <laughs> yeah, with a, an M9 on the India star, it's a bit... <laughs> you really want to get that close? 
It's funny you say that because Shane was just talking about that today when he was running around with his M16A1. He's yeah. like, oh, yeah, I know why they high port things. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, there's um, a really good one of the Green Beret guys on YouTube. It's got a really great story about CQB and high port and low ready. Um, so have a look for that. It's, um, oh, what's his name? Survival Outdoor or something. He's an ex Green Beret. And the reasons the Americans didn't use high port but pre-Afghanistan and stuff is because their CQB ranges, all the safety staff were on gantries above them. So you couldn't point your rifle upwards. That's why they had a low-ready thing. And I just found it amusing that their doctrine was because of a peacetime safety measure, not because of the practicality of what they were doing in combat. And I remember seeing that so much. In you, you hearing me here at demo? You do yeah. these things in peacetime and in, and you train for this thing and you're going yeah but we need to train this way because that's yeah but we can't and it was just so frustrating it's muzzle awareness in general isn't it try not to pack the fr- your friend in front of you i think uh over the next few years uh, it'll be very interesting to see what training doctrine changes for uh some of our special operators and so forth one of the the things i found recently there, there's a guy that plays here is current serving senior nco um, and he was talking about how uncomfortable he was with people carrying their style at the high port. Oh, you, they carry it at 45 degrees at the range. That's really unsafe. And I said, you know, when I was a recruit in 94, that's how you held your style during weaponsless. You didn't hold it parallel to the ground. And he went, what? I said, that came out about 98, 99, this parallel to the ground thing that became a real, you've got to do this like walk around like a Dalek element, and you're pointing your rifle at everyone. Whereas in the past, you held it at 45 degrees, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I suppose I never." And that's that doctrinal thing that is a massive circle in the military. That you see something that works peacetime, or we need to piss that off, and then you go back to war and go, "Oh, that doesn't really work. <laughs> Let's try this thing we did 10 years ago." I guess the funny thing about um, peacetime safety versus <laughs> wartime safety. There's, it's, the two things don't hold hands. There's very different uh, approaches. For the the term the that other. we used to use was force preservation. Mm-hmm. The OHS in civvy world, force preservation. You don't want to kill people in combat doing stuff. You still do things safely. And uh, I think it was Air Marshal Binskin that said it to me one day when I was at a briefing. He said. We, we don't do unsafe things. We do dangerous things, but we do them safely. Flying a jet aircraft at Mach 2, that is a dangerous thing to do, but we can do that safely. And that's how our culture should be in, in the military. And we lost that in the 90s. So, Tractor, just back to your earlier question about the difference between a mill soft and a mill sim. Mm-hmm. For me, the number one thing that makes a mill soft slash sim event fun is when you see the enemy, you don't necessarily engage them straight away. You decide if you're going to manoeuvre, you decide if you're going to hide, you decide if you're going to retreat. You, t- you might talk on your radio, mm. uh, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I can come to a day game and run around and pull the trigger all I want and get trigger time, but I can't get that hiding, manoeuvring, flanking... Anticipation. Yeah, gameplay at a day game. And for me, that's why I go to a milsim so I can experience some of that. Um, further to what Zach just said, um, the first time that I actually ever played with Zach was at EP 1.5 uh, when he was mm. the um, 
He was a faction commander. The, the Rush War commander for, for that group, and I was essentially just his, uh, his shadow. Um, but he spent a lot of the time on the radio and checking his map and everything else and manoeuvring squads and trying to get people into right positions and stuff like that. And I, I guess as somewhat of an observer, actually just enjoyed watching him try and get all of that stuff done. Mm. Um, from a commander's perspective, that's a really big challenge to be able to manoeuvre forces in the field mm. properly and, and have that actually work out once contact's been started. Yeah, it's something that we talked about a lot before picking the faction commanders for the two factions was, is that something that person has the, the people skills to pull off? It's not about can they navigate, can they, can they find somebody in their group of people and go, you, you're good at that, do that for me. It's not could they get on a radio themselves, could they find themselves a SIG that could do that? Sadly, the best they were able to find was me. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think that we should have a player faction leader in a mill soft, or do we need to have that as a directing person? Uh, I think you can use a player, but they definitely need some, it, some pl- experience, I think. Yeah, a player's got... Like and Zach can talk to this now because he's had a crack at it. And I don't think it's something that you really enjoyed doing again. And then I ended up doing it at a Toowoomba one a bit later. <laughs> and after that, never again. Yeah. Look, it's not for everyone. It's a very different way of playing the game. Is trying to be very cerebral and strategic and predict what patterns Your will chess happen. Chess player, basically. Yeah. yeah. And and that's not what everyone picks up an M4 to do. Yeah, I think it might be good if you had like maybe an X. As it, we had for EP one forty five, ex servicemen there to just maybe push you in the right direction or just say, hey, um, what are you trying to do here? Maybe you should try and do this and that. Keep the flow of the games happening as well. If you if the gameplay type that you've decided on is a simpler one, so if you've got domination or something where the teams know what they've got to do and they know how they've got to win, it's probably less necessary to have admin control over that position. If you're playing for something more abstract, like go into town, conduct patrols, blah, 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 find the insurgents, you probably need admin control over that position just to drive your sort of scenario side of things. Yeah, if I said deny access to this grid square, that would need much more coordination than go to that grid square and kill everyone. So um, at 1.5, we tried something very different, and I don't know whether how Toowoomba does all that, but... Um, we had the platoon sergeant that was an admin person and a player as the leader. Uh, what, what do you guys got any feedback on that? Is that something we should do in Mill Soft? I think that I think that worked. I don't know. Zach and Demi yeah, disagree Zach's with me. Better want to answer this one. It, it worked really well. I'm just not sure it's necessary for Mill CM Soft. Yeah, <laughs> definitely more directing uh, stuff. Led. As more of a rifleman. Rob, though, what did you see of the platoon sergeant when you were just that guy on a gun? Oh, hardly saw him. I actually hardly saw Zach as well. Like, they were always in a truck or <laughs> far away, and we were, like, on top of a hill reconning things and getting spot in the enemy. And so, like, you don't see him. Um, all you hear on the radio is, you know, go to grid reference, blah, 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 or, you know, engage, blah, blah, blah. You, you just don't see any or think, hear any of it. Is it easy to get that sort of radio chatter from somebody that you know yourself rather than a faceless zero alpha? Um, to be honest, for me, it didn't make a difference. Like, I, But again, I've had other previous military experience where I've just been doing events mm. and you just get faceless radio chatter and you're just like, yeah, whatever, all right, cool, I'll just go and do that. 
because that's what you got to do um, to make the game obviously work. So that's how you're gonna you're gonna run it anyway. So I'll give an example of where maybe the faceless chatter didn't work was at EP one mm. on Saturday about six p.m. We got a mission over the radio to go out and find a crashed drone or a crashed helicopter, and by that stage. My team had been running around all day and wanted a break. And done got about 60 k's that day or something. <laughs> I worked out I'd done 20 k's by that time. Mm-hmm. And um, my guys were just like, no, we're not going to do it. We'll just guard here. Um, so with that perspective, is if we went back to Susan River for a Millsoft, is that too big a square footage for a Millsoft? I think for a Millsoft, it's probably just a bit extreme terrain-wise. I think my property that I've offered to you track <laughs> would be a lot better. You haven't been to Susan River. No, I went. Was that you went one? to EP one? Was that EP one or one point yeah. five? One. Oh no, sorry, I missed that one. Yeah, I haven't been. Um, there yet. I would. I would say that if you probably just chopped the fields closest to the town out, not not Redfall, the um, the hotel, and yeah. then went that way, it would probably be fine in terms of space. So play in the swamp. Yeah, start at the swamp. Honestly. <laughs> You only need one field gone. I just want Cormac to go back to the swamp. Out, just out of curiosity, how big was that field? 660 acres that we used. Three Ks There's, by one K. Yeah, that, yeah, that's like massive. My property I have access to is half that, but it'd probably work a little bit better. Yeah, limiting people's ability to, to manoeuvre can make gameplay more interesting. I, I found that from standing back and watching at EP1, you would watch people manoeuvring around the chessboard but being nowhere near each other. So you see... You often talk about that incident from the command perspective, but I think I know the instance it's referring to because there were instances where I was with a team of guys and we're walking through the bush and we'd see a patrol going down a, uh, a line and you often say, oh, they didn't even engage. And it's like, well, well... It's because you hid from them. Yeah, well, 100%. We made the decision to lie them out because we were a squad and there was a platoon of guys <laughs> over there. Well, they, what I was talking about was the opposite where you would literally be all of the red guys would be in one corner and all of the blue guys, and they'd be all sort of standing too, waiting for the other to come. <laughs> and you're sitting there going, all right, we've got to throw a mission out there to get people moving towards each other again. Yeah, I, I think a- that and if we have limited space, you're going to trip over each other yeah, naturally. I think Toowoomba is small in terms of area, but it, it's very bigger complex than, terrain. Yep. It's bigger than EP 1.5 though, yeah? I'd say it's about the same, yep. but it's got so, more hills in that space. Um, and more, I didn't think that was possible. And less <laughs> tall hills, <laughs> but um, no, it's got one tall hill. Yeah, but yeah. there was 150 people at K5, and that worked really well in the space because it was complex enough that if there was a battle going on in one corner, it was diverse. It was completely separated from a battle going on somewhere else. Yeah, I think it really just depends like how many players you got versus what sort of terrain or size of terrain you got to and operate truthful, with. Yeah. Truth for that is, I rarely see other players I play on Toowoomba. Very often, yeah. During K five, I just didn't see them at all. They were just so engaged in a completely different activity. You just don't see them at all. Guarding the fort for the whole thing. <laughs> don't talk about fobbits. Well, that's all <laughs> NATO <laughs> did. I wasn't oh. gonna. You know, I wasn't gonna put a label on it, Tractor. But <laughs> what do you think? I've created entirely new countries that aren't East and West because of you, Zachary. Because of you. <laughs> <laughs> And you're going to be teamed up with people wearing multicam, whether you like it or not. <laughs> Russians wear multicam sometimes. Exactly. And I'm going to buy some Russian patches and give to some NATO people and say, you're Russian now. Watch them squirm. I will say that 
one thing, a real strong credit to the community, probably in the last three months post-COVID, it's really come together in terms of different squads talking to each other and having game days with each other and training with each other. And that's that's been really good to see. Yeah. I'm, I'm really enjoying seeing a lot of the, the content that's on Instagram and stuff where teams are coming together and going, all right, let's both roll at X field. And it might be Dabra, it might be anywhere, it doesn't really matter. But it says to me that people are more willing to work with anyone rather than yeah. go, well, I'm only going to work with the guys that wear this clothes. And look, big shout out to, um, as much as he does wear multicam, big shout out to Ray from Mad Dogs because he's a big driving force between a lot of these events. He's hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. Hashtag, hashtag, inspirational story, inspirational story. Hashtag, this big Insta, but but to interrupt this, comes down to this very big word, fun. Mm. If you can yeah. roll with similar like-minded people and you get a good experience playing with them. Shane, yeah. we're not here to have fun. We're here to wear serious gel ball <laughs> gear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know the underlying we're, story. We're now. winning sheep stations at the end of this. <laughs> there is a gold bar for you. Uh, I'm getting all serious on me now. I there's, might need to There's 10 bitcoins up for... <laughs> oh, 10 bitcoins would be a lot of money now. That would be a house. <laughs> I think the other big thing is um, just how small the community is, you know. Like, even though everyone thinks it's huge, it's like it's not exactly that, that big either. Mm. So you have to learn to play with other other teams, and especially other Milsim teams, because it don't, doesn't seem to be that many Milsim teams. I think if, if I had one wish for, for this being a new year, uh, would be for um, to have more teams come from more places. Um, I feel f- very much so for the SA guys and, and the predicament there, and I would love for them to be able to actually travel up. And yeah, we were due little to little have little. some come to K five, but unfortunately, with the Corona stuff oh. that came, they were able to make it. Break out, yeah. Some, yeah, of our, some of our Russian brothers from down south, which we pour out a bottle of vodka for. <laughs> and I'm going to put a shout out <laughs> anyone that's in South Australia that's going through this stuff that wants to be on the podcast and talk about it from your perspective. Obviously, I don't live in South Australia anymore. I did years ago, and I know some of you guys down there. Um, we can do a Zoom and, and add you into the podcast. I'd love to talk to you about it so we can spread whatever it is you need done. Um, I, I want to help. But also, if anyone down in SA has any AKs they need to <laughs> safely have stowed and looked after in a new home, you know, the Roost 4 team is happy to <laughs> take them off your hands. Yeah, for free. Yeah. Permanent loan until... We'll, we'll pay shipping. Oh, you're so generous. That's what your wife says too. Not just mine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a wife, so I'm good. Damien's only laughing because I know his wife too. <laughs> uh, so... With the, the Milsim te- team stuff, do you think it's really important for the, the serious, inverted commas, Milsim teams to play at normal game days, even if they roll as a team, to to get the, the inculcation, to, to show what they are to the general player? Donbass almost never is able to roll together at day games because we all live pretty geographically dispersed. So there's only ever two or three of us at a game and we just talk to people and show off our gear. Mm. That's mostly it. Um, contrast that to some other squads where they've got 10 people rocking up in matching uniforms, and that's that's pretty impressive to see every time. And it's a lot of dedication from them. So mm. it can. So to, in answer to your question, it doesn't matter either way. Like some squads do it 
the low key way. Some some squads do it that high key way. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Like, I don't think there's ever really a time that you don't sort of see any Millsimmers at. I guess guys who play Millsim at any sort of field. Mm-hmm. Sorry, play Millsim and then play at fields all the time. Like, I don't know how many guys patch mad dog dudes are around, mm. but you see them everywhere, and they they're a Millsim team as well. It, it, it is always an interesting feel, though, when you go to, like, a speedball field and you're wearing all your Russian Milsim <laughs> gear with yeah. 700 pouches and stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Serious Milsim teams come in to play day games. I think it really... I don't know why... I don't know. I'm just trying to put my, put my player you, head but back you, in here. You've rolled in the various teams you've been in at normal games and played everywhere you can play. So it's definitely a social thing for me. If I to be completely honest, yes, yeah. I do enjoy my games. I mean, have good ones, have bad ones. I think all of us have that, have had that. Um, speedballers, see, it's going to become a whole speedballer versus Milsim is kind of a, mm. kind of a chat again. And I, I am watching my words here very carefully too. Um, so you know what I'd like to yeah. see? I'd like to see a speedball versus Milsim team event at Hardcore. Yeah, I'd be up for that. Because I think the two different strategies of play, it would be hard for each team to expect the other to do what they're doing and go, all right, well, they don't play the way we do, so what what tactics do we need? Because Speedball has its own tactics. Running. Gosh. Running. <laughs> yeah, what, more running. Yeah. <laughs> they call it Speedball for a reason. We don't, we don't do that running thing. Mm-hmm. I, I run to the toilet. <laughs> I run my car to get the aircon running. Yeah, I do some kind of running, but yeah. But you're you're like Eddie Izzard did like thirty marathons in thirty days. <laughs> I won't go too far. I do enough running to be happy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He only did twenty nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So hmm. on on that same vein, what are the ways we as a community of millsimmers can encourage people that have never millsimmed that are on the fence and going? I'd really like to, but it seems a bit. What can we do at day games to get them over that edge, or anywhere else in the community? I, I don't think you can really do it with a day game unless the day game was to run sort of like all day and have like a pretty solid scenario that would last the better part of the day, and then you can kind of incorporate that milsim style of play, like I was saying before, like patrolling and all that sort of jazz, eating in the field and that sort of thing, and. Maybe if you have like three or four, well, sorry, maybe four or five, six uh, Milsim teams and then taking on guys who maybe haven't played before and would like to give it a go, and then that way they can dip their toe in it, be part of a team, and they can either follow through with that team or maybe join another team for yeah. another sort of Millsoft event. I think K5 Toowoomba sort of does that side of things well in terms of you've got your experienced squads and you pick up some other players on the day. But in terms of designing a Milsim or Milsoft event that is accessible for new players and encourages them to get into it, and I can see from your look track that you already know what I'm going to say, is that the rules around gear and camouflage and loadouts can't be too restrictive. It needs to have something that's accessible for low-cost options that also makes them feel like they're part of the team and not... A leper, in a yeah, not just that pickup squad guy. That's right. Yeah, that actually that's probably better a better approach to it. Like faction colours. Yeah, it's already in the old red and blue, or the browns and greens. Well, that's a lot of a lot of uh, 
airsoft defense too. They still it, run. It's what we used yeah. to do in laser. Yeah. Airsoft run green and tan a lot. Mm. Um, so how, like thinking much longer term now, 10 years, 15 years, how do we recruit kids into Millsim? Tanks. They've got that GSA. <laughs> Tanks you can ride. <laughs> it's called tank ride, isn't it? Come on. An IFV is not a tank tractor. <laughs> yeah, if it's got a wheels, it's not a tank. I mean, to to be very honest, it's a very unique kind of experience that we all are trying. We all are playing here together. And so how do you? I think it's definitely have to got to come from a marketing point of view as well. It's how do you sell it that it basically says fun, fun, we fun. The Embrace m- the suck. It's Air two in the morning. It's great. <laughs> Airsoft Airsoft Milsim has great advertisers in the form of YouTube channels like Jet Desert Fox and Air Force, Air, Airsoft Alphonse going out and great and Swamp Sniper and, and yeah and, and Swamp and Sniper yeah. yeah going out and creating great Milsim footage every time um, unfortunately the range of gels <laughs> makes that a bit harder to create that kind of footage and we, we don't really have that type of YouTube mascot for gel ball and I don't think we will for a long time and that, that's understandable I think we've got a few guys that are having a pretty good crack at it for oh, what yeah, we can achieve definitely. in Australia. Def- there's definitely good, good YouTubers for gel ball. Yep. It's just not the same level of ubiquity. I do and believe Trent is trying to do something with that, which is good to see. Yep. And we've got definitely great Instagram material coming from our <laughs> various players. <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> Hashtag. Actually, I actually think um, most of the... Like, when you first start out playing gel ball, I think it's... an Sometimes it's just a natural progression, you know. There are kids that just want to play Millsim, and um, I don't know about our official policy, but some of these kids are like anywhere between ten and twelve, and you get. I've had it to me happen to me up at Donnybrook. Random mums ask me if I'm on the Millsim team, and you're like sitting there going, "Well, I'm on a team, <laughs> and yeah. I'm not sure I want to be comfortable with watching your child over the course of a weekend, but." That's sort of the natural thing that will happen anyway. Like, mm. um, we, we used to get it, you get it all the time with reenacting. So I imagine it'll just be the same with gel ball. In, in terms of designing day games that better showcase Milsim style of gameplay, more places would do well, I think, to run games where they have a medical spawn system. Sorry, a medic type system. Please, COVID, go away so we can touch people <laughs> in but gentle ways. And not so gentle. <laughs> but in general, ha- having a medic-type system encourages that sort of more slow-paced tactical gameplay, and it would be really good for people to see that um, because it makes manoeuvre, it makes making a decision of whether you're just going to rush the door or you're going to try and cover and pull your guy out that's been shot mm. more important. And we don't see a lot of that at day games in general at any field. A lot of people... Instantly when they think Milsim, they think it has to be in the bush, it has to be in the jungle. Do you think Mount has an option? Oh, oh God, Absolutely. yes. I would I would love to have like Nuketown uh, type. Sorry for, for the public. Mount is military options, operations in urban terrain. Oh, right, okay. I'd love to have a type of event that was at Nuketown, for instance, and it had various civilians going about doing their stuff and then NATO patrols coming into the town and doing their stuff and role play around that would be probably the most amazing event because you have heaps of... Hey, Brant. Brant. <laughs> and that 
plays to the strengths of gels in that gels have really short range. Mm. And as soon as you're shooting at someone 25 metres away and not hitting, your realism breaks down a lot. So if you force the combat into urban-type scenarios that are still milsim-oriented, it hides the weakness of gel. See, that's, that's something I tried to achieve with um, shipment and the chem plant. And that area down there was to make it more military-styled without getting too wrapped around the axles. That's my favourite area to play here is down in the fort and down in Shipman. I don't necessarily enjoy playing the trench field as much because you see the weakness of gel a lot more. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Shipman is easily my favourite part of the part of the field just because your engagement ranges and everything are that much more compressed and yeah, the inherent inabilities of gel ball are not as apparent. Yeah, so tractor plays. just bulldoze that top part of the field and put in more Connex boxes, please. <laughs> and trenches, trench complex so you know, for ankle breaking. I'll say what I've said to the corporate community again. If you are a big purveyor of gel ball stuff and you want to put a container out here that has your name plastered all over it as an advertising thing, come and talk to Martin at Wounded Heroes. We can work together on that. You win, we win. I'm sure we can work something out there. And all the players win too. And Tractor, I believe after the PKs were sold, you told me you were going to buy a Bunnings as a, an indoor gel field. I've got a guy um, that's talking to the people that own the old Masters at Springfield, trying to get something done there, but I can only wish. <laughs> <laughs> well, imagine if we got something like an old Masters and said to Commander Lee and Tack Edge and all those guys, you can have a 6x6 six six or have... One wall of six by six, um, East Coast Custom Blast, it's arm in heaven. Every little man and their dog, right at that six by six on a weekend, you can rent it for 20 bucks. And games will happen out there and everyone's welcome. So a gel ball Sunday markets? Is that what you're going at? Yeah, yeah. Maybe some food trucks. I, I approve of this message. Yeah. And it, it might be a market. Right, so so if you're a enjoy. really, really expensively rich guy that's got like a kajillion dollars, please ring me and buy <laughs> that for me and I'll give it to Wounded Heroes. I promise. <laughs> coffee van. Yeah, decent coffee van. <sighs> it's got to have a pub for afterwards. But I think I think we're answering the question here is how do we attract people into the sport? Mm. Civilians. And it's the real world. It's how do you introduce comforts into the sport it's a sport it's like it's mm. how do we become ambassadors kit. for our sport mm. in the community I think you guys do a pretty good job here at MSVB it's, it's a wonderful canteen you guys have wonderful chips I might say too mm. a slushy machine a slushy machine cold drinks I always forget that's there <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful hot day and people that I think I can definitely guarantee that's your biggest income draw to the field here that slushy machine is cool. awesome like, if, if you're another field out there and you don't have a slushy machine, get on that stuff. <laughs> if Even like, in winter. like If you use it to make margaritas, you might. <laughs> oh, some days I wish this wasn't a dry site, but most days I'm happy it is. <laughs> Actually, yeah, ice cream. Well, <laughs> we, we did talk about an ice cream machine, but we don't have a nuclear power plant to power everything down at <laughs> the junkyard. No, that's fair. It's yeah. just you can't, you can't freeze actually, it. Actually, I'd just like it. to see some shade go up in here at the junkyard. That'd be really We've cool. actually <laughs> been talking to, because um, obviously with council, we've got to get approval for certain things. They've given us approval to put up shade structures, but we're going to go through a process to get them. We found a company that's willing to do it for free. Oh, nice. Um, they're going to donate them, but getting mm. through the red tape, is it's going to be a next summer thing, I reckon. Um, 
It's insane. I did notice there's a lot of green stuff out there now. Yeah, it's all baby bindies. <laughs> yeah, that's a could be a incentive to do a bit of leopard crawling through there. Yeah. Um, for those of you that don't know, we're going to have a working bee the weekend before we come back to to do a bunch of new stuff. We've got um, some really exciting building materials coming, um, and there's going to be. Um, it's a bit like when we added shipment and added Fort Lang, and there's another thing that we're going to add. Um, it's not going to be for everyone, but people will like to play that a couple of times a weekend. What's the criteria to volunteer for working with? I don't uh, find myself particularly skilled. Uh, can you breathe? I can breathe. <laughs> can you lift stuff? Yeah. That's enough. You, you don't need to be a carpenter. Like A lot of it is, oh, can you whip a snip over there? Or can you, you move this thing over there? Or can you keep the screws going to the guy that's doing this or whatever else? We don't need a lot of skilled people. We need a lot of just people. And if you're um if you're someone who's new to the community and you really want to show that you want to be part of the community and make friends and meet new people, coming down to an event like that and putting some help in is a great way to do it. Yep. Um, the other thing that we're going to be doing that weekend is moving all the Speedsoft stuff back up to here because the, we're running another speedball event um, as a CQ. Ooh, yes. as, no one cares about that. <laughs> as a battle royale. But that will free up some more space back in the junkyard. Um, where that is being played now, that's going to come back up to field one where we used to play the village and and it's not like we play the village anymore. Um, so that stuff will come up here and we'll play speedball up here so that we can draw a big line in the centre and go, that's where we do speedball and that's where we do everything else. Everyone's looking at their watches. Exciting times. Like, oh, I've been here for so long. <laughs> this isn't even a long podcast. Well, uh for me, I think time is not flying, really. It's going slow. We're having a good conversation. Are oh, we boring you that much, mate? <laughs> <laughs> yes. All good silence. Insert here. Well, Zach's too far away from the mic again. <laughs> what? What? I can't wait for the comments on this on Facebook and stuff. It'll be like, who is this Zach? He is standing <laughs> 40 feet from the microphone. <laughs> All I could hear was the air con. So what, what, what plans are... Uh, are kind of underway for Milsey East in the village this year that you can talk about? Is there stuff um, we don't know about? Th- there's been a lot in the background going on with our relationship with council to improve um, what we do and how we do it. There's a lot of growth in Wounded Heroes. Um, uh, myself, in my own business, I've put on two full-time employees that I lend out to the field to do certain things. Um, because I've had some growth in my own business to be able to then push that back there. And there's some tax benefits and everything for that. But it also allows me to step back from being the guy on the mower for two days a week to have somebody else do that and I can do slightly higher level stuff and do some more talking to councils and businesses and and securing the things that I want for that long-term vision. Anyone that knows me knows that I've got this this 50-year plan for Millsim East. Um, and some of that... I really want to kick some goals with this year. Does it, in, does it include more themed events? Yes. I'd love to see more themed events. Um, one of the big ones that we're going to do again is the train event. Stalker is still in development. Uh, I, I really uh, want to see like... You're going to make me talk about Stalker. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, but I don't want to. And you know this. I know. So, uh, so Tractor, you're going to hate me describing you as this, but as one of the spokespersons for Gel. <laughs> I talk a lot about it, but no one listens. 
How have you found your relation with council? Has it been a positive uh, developments for wounded heroes or has it been deaf ears or what have you found? Uh, look, there's been a lot of teething problems because they don't understand us, we don't understand them. There's been a lot of politics involved. Um, we're negotiating at this point to take over the lease for the entire facility um, because we only have a lease for portions of the facility and to do what... Wounded Heroes does, um, we need more square footage. Um, obviously, there's a lot of maintenance that needs to be done here and it's about who pays for what and who's responsible for certain things. So there's a lot of that happening in the... Oh, my God. Anyone that's worked in government knows exactly what I'm going through here. Public policy documents, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, multiple, multiple page contracts and negotiations about whose bag of gold what comes out of and everyone doesn't want to spend theirs and that's that's the nature of life um but there are some very very promising things um that obviously i'm bound to not talk about at this point but um there's some stuff i'm very excited about um that i will talk about once we finish the podcast um so you guys can see that long-term picture um there's some stuff that we were going to do one year two years ago that got marked off that said, no, you'll never be able to do that, that is now on the horizon again. Um, it's It's been an interesting time. that, And some of the stuff that I've done here has harmed our ability to do some of that stuff, our relationship with council. I've Some of the things that I've gone stuff that will we'll ask for forgiveness, not permission, um, has really harmed our relationship with council and I take full responsibility for that. But that's... That's the nature of life. We win some, we lose some, we make the right call sometimes, sometimes we don't. And I think everyone around you and everyone that knows you has complete faith that everything you're doing is in uh, the best interest of or what you're perceiving at the time and what you feel is yeah. appropriate. Yeah. No well, I suppose the bonus is that council never saw that I was trying to do anything for the wrong reasons. They understood the reasons I did things. They just didn't agree with the way I did things. Um, and that's... That's the nature of politics and all that red tapey stuff. Just putting it out there, not to change the topic or anything. Has anybody seen the new ComSims relaunch? Uh, I Re- did see something on Facebook. Yeah, the brand relaunch and Operation yeah. Tempest in March. Yeah. I knew that they were doing an event um, in March at Susan River. Um, I don't know what the details are. other than They've got dates set for it. I don't know much more than that. Yeah. So for me, it's I'm quite keen to try a 72-hour Milsim because I've never done one before. They're going 72 hours. Well, it's they, they advise three days, so 19th, 20th, and 21st of March. Okay. Because yep. EP1 was technically three days, but it was only a 48-hour Melsim. Hmm. So I think it's 48 hours with a little bit of lead-in and lead-up yep. time, maybe. Yeah. So is Don Bass going to get in on that, do you think? Are you off to Harvey Bay? I uh, don't know yet. I, I will probably be a dad by then or very close Yay! to it. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know if I personally will go, but I assume Donbass will go or some sort of presence will go. We're we're still unsure at this time. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh. Um I assume have they released rules or any of that stuff? Um yet? I think they only just linked it to the wiki. Yeah. CS wiki. So I'm, stuff I'm actually catching up with Morkai hopefully in the next few days to talk. because mm. um, obviously he wants to chew my ear about a bunch of stuff yep. and that's cool. Stuff um, that I read before, so stuff that's not new to me, but yep. I mean Especially yeah. with the relaunch and stuff. Because I've also invo- I've invited Jason, I've invited Morkai, um, and I've invited the guys from Rapid and a bunch of other people. I've said, come to this Millsoft that I'm running. Not 
to play but to be an ambassador for your own event so that when people come to a Millsoft, they can go off to that corner and, and talk to people and go, all right, well, this is what we've done here. What's different that you do? So you can promote what you do and, and get people because I want it to be a step, the mill soft to be a stepping point to mill sim. It's a feeder that I don't think we had um, for EP specifically. There was, there was this massive step from weekend games to EP that was a big jump. Um, and I want the mill soft to step in there and go, okay, people can have a little taste of it, not spend a million dollars on kit and go, I'm definitely going to be the 82nd recon regiment and wear this and carry that and have a certain blaster and go, all right, well, I enjoy the concept of mill sim, now I want to take it further. So so for me with the loadouts and stuff, if someone's not running in a, like a military-style backpack, if they're running a black backpack from Anaconda that they bought... I don't give a stuff. Exactly. They should feel just as welcome as anyone, as yeah. someone who's got a full, authentic, tactical loadout backpack system. In some ways, I encourage that for first-timers because the less you can carry on your first mill sim, the better. Oh, oh yeah. I think mm. everyone carried way too much at EP1. Oh, I, think, I think even those of us who have served say we always carry way too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Plenty of times I've taught people how to do that stuff and taken them on their first pack marches and that and, and standing back at EP1 in the marshalling area while people are getting in your cars and I'm going, <laughs> seriously carrying that? Jesus, I hope you've done some training, dude. <laughs> Spoiler alert, he had not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and for me, my hope is that a Millsoft can bridge that gap for people that can see all right, I can mill sim without that and then go to that. And there's no reason we couldn't go, all right, we're going to set up some hoochies, we're going to set up some pup tents, we're going to set up this and go, these are some of the ways you can mill sim a bit harder. Mill hard, mill sim, whatever you want to call yourself. Yeah, I think that's, fan- that's a fantastic idea. Like I, You see it all the time, dudes turn up to uh, day games in like wish fest and that sort of thing and yep. you can see they want to be a part of that mill sim uh, I guess universe, if you will, and they don't sort of really know where to go because they don't have a team. And I think this would be a great concept for them. The Millsoft will be a very good opportunity yeah, to provide yeah, them yeah. those experiences. And and I tried to create some YouTube content for that for EP one, but it was very dry. There was, I'm not super proud. Like the the radio communications one, I did that <laughs> in a very military fashion. It's so dry. In, it's hard to engage people on YouTube the way you can in a room. Yeah, I mean, trying to get one player perspective, someone just playing playing a game. There's a player YouTube video, whatever you want to call it, and they have no idea what's going on. And then it's all about throwing throwing ideas in. Okay, how am I going to get involved with this scenario? Okay, I've been given a scenario. What am I going to do here? Mm. And then obviously, how do how do you branch into the teams, working in the team and accomplishing a mission or getting defeated, but having still having great time. There's a couple of teams that I've said, I really want you to come to the Millsoft. And they're like, no, nah, we want to run as a team. We don't want to do... And I'm like, this this isn't about not Millsimming. This is about growing the community in a sustainable way. The way for you to have better foes at your next Millsim is to go, we'll get a few people's toes in the water and then th- they will go in one direction or another. They'll go to Roost 4, they'll go to Death Jesters, they'll go to... Um, Foxhound, they'll go wherever they go. It doesn't matter where they go, but that team will have another body. 
and all of a sudden we're having two two hundred men, Neil Simpson, two hundred men and f- fifty women, and we've got civilians and NPCs and all because not everyone fits into rifleman number one or section scout or whatever else. There's so many other places you can be in a Milsim. That's my hope. Spot anyway. on. Yep, that's all. That's all hope. The I believe. Yeah. You are the mentoring task force. No. M- MTF one. <laughs> I, I think as well, like if we if the community grows, you, there's much more scope for different roles, and that especially opens up stuff like NPCs and role playing, and people that just want to come out and be a civilian and that type of thing, and that's really good for building an immersive event. Yeah, and yeah. and for those people that want to be the special force of sneaky peek, you go behind enemy lines. The way to do that is to have some regular forces, to have some civilians, and go all right, you're a team of 10 people, get in there, get this, get out without, or do this or go and blow up this. That's the only way to do it is by having a body of people you can work f- with that are interested in not being the sneaky peaky guy. Yeah, I think that's, that the tractor's right on the money. Like, if you want to grow the community, like, obviously, for uh, scenarios, you want to have different players doing different stuff. Like, uh, Zach at uh, K5 was a... Uh, what were you, a police officer. Police detective. Police detective, that yeah, was Detective it. Inspector Zach. Yeah, and <laughs> it literally threw all of NATO for a six because they didn't know how to handle this, hmm. this uh, uh, detective. Search warrants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so to, to give some context, whenever NATO were conducting a serious operation and their commander was engaged trying to coordinate that operation... I'd walk up to their base with my uh, fake search warrants <laughs> and demand to be let in and start yelling about due process and how this area is my jurisdiction and you're know, interfering mm. with lawful police operations, blah, blah, blah. And their commander would have to come out and talk to me for 10 minutes <laughs> until I left. Meanwhile, while that was happening, they weren't commanding. And that's a really... It didn't have any direct effect on the battle, but it had a really powerful, it, soft effect on the battle. <laughs> Annoyance. <laughs> oh. And if I go back to... And Damien can talk about this too from the operations we've done. There are civilian police operating in their country. We are guests there doing military operations, and you've got to work with, beside, or around those forces. Would you agree, Damon? Yeah, um, I mean, just so far as I guess the the the, uh, the EP one police force goes. Um, probably didn't go as we wanted it to go as. I ended up essentially being a bodyguard for the mayor and we all got yeeted into a fence. So, I mean... <laughs> um, all you have to do to upset that mayor is say, Borodin, <laughs> not Borodin. It gets really wound out. Um, but, I mean, uh, one of the other kind of things I did enjoy, particularly at um, EP1, and I had some feedback from some other players after the fact, um, was when I actually played um, just a civilian out in the middle of nowhere with some severe chemical burns um, mm. that, that that squad had to then deal with uh, when they came upon me and the control and they that really made them have to work hard. Like they, mm. they had to carry me for a number of Ks before they ran into enemy contact. So they still had to deal with me plus mm. deal with the enemy incursion and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Like and it just exacerbated the complications of the entire thing. I had a couple of them come up uh, saying that was part of the, the most enjoyable thing they had because it was something that totally they couldn't plan for. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think like, and this is where you need the player base to start coming up with stuff and then implementing in implementing it into certain events as well, like the police officer thing. I know for um, K five, 
uh, Donbass and Tundra squad both ended up becoming uh, Russian military police officers. Uh, one of our team members actually had a megaphone and was asking the local populace to come out and help us. Um, that didn't go down so well. And none of none of that was scripted. Either. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't none. part of the scenario. Um, me being a cop and walking around with warrants wasn't part of the scenario. It's just something we developed and did to inject uh, an interesting and complex scenario into what was happening. Um, another thing that a lot of people... Look, it's a word that some people absolutely hate is milsim training. What, how do you guys feel about those words? You mean day games? No, no, I mean like a squad going, all right, let's go and specifically work together at whatever. It doesn't have to be at a day game. I think for a milsim game, it's nearly necessary, at least so far as from a team or squad base level that your guys understand and can work together. I think it's very superfluous for a mill soft environment. I, I think the uh, to me the major issue is using the word training. Mm. People seem to think that you're going to end up in a classroom listening to someone bore you with a lesson that starts yeah, in this lesson. You will we'll learn yeah. by the end of the lesson. You'll be able to. Yeah, no one, no one wants, to, no one wants to do that. I think if you just keep things easy, um, obviously, if you have ex servicemen in the group, grab the best knowledge you can out of them and then come up with your own, I guess, training and commas. The training will have got to be practically based. It's got to be hands-on. It's got to be scenario-based. What I find yeah. is people get so it's wrapped up in some of the basic skills training. They go, oh, you must use arrowhead formation for this. And you must. They don't do any of the training on what to do if. Actions on. Yeah. And see, for, for our squad, we've found it really hard to get everyone in one place to actually do training or to have a location to train. And so most of our, I guess, training before Mill Sims has been we go to the pub because people always want to get at a pub. We have a couple of drinks at a snitty. If, if they get invited, that is. <laughs> wow. We, we, play, play that depressing sound effect you've got. <laughs> That's what we call the Zach effect. Ouch. Anyway, we go to the pub, we have a snitty and a beer, and we talk about what we want to accomplish and, and how we want to do it. And that's 90% of our training because it gets everyone on the same page as to once we insert, what yeah, we're going to do. Yeah. Training does not have to be march up and down the square. Like The military is really terrible sometimes at delivering training in that way. Well, yep. Experiential training, I think we used to call Especially it. Especially when you're working in a team, you're working with fellow individuals, human beings. It also yeah. also depends on the team. Like I know with Donbass, we're really chill and relaxed. And like to culture. us, if you yeah, that's it, culture. If you jammed us in a classroom, we'd probably start throwing chairs and walking out the door. I, I remember having probably two years ago having a conversation with Anthony about how Donbass trains, and he was like, "We don't train. We don't train, man." And I said, well, you actually do. You, you're not doing what you stereotypically think is training, but you are training together. You are learning how to work with everyone else. And you know that when this happens, do this thing. That's training. And, and we have a group chat where we just shit talk 24-7, so that's a kind of training. Is that too. called Discord? <coughs> no, actually. It's yeah, called I, I, I yanked myself from that. <laughs> <laughs> But let's not just trash talk. There's so much good stuff that happens in there. When that's you talk right. About we talk yeah. about our loadouts. We talk about trying to get better loadouts and gear and, and what mm. we should run and 
you know, scenarios that if they occur, we'd like to, what we'd like to do and, and what we'd like to see in an event because if we talk about what we'd like to see in an event, it makes us think about what the other person's, how their thought processes are so that if that happens, yeah, you're already aligned. Also, we just rag on Ant too. Constantly. Good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> and even at Fort Lang earlier, we were running those awesome, awesome scenarios, just one life only. None of us will ever know everything. That's my perspective on focusing on training. But mm. that's okay. all. How come I didn't do this? All right, reflect on it. Move on. We did poach Shane with um, our training program of beer and snitties. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's no doctrinal instruction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we train. We just. It's good training if you do not realize you're doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if if, if you know it. you're training, it's it's um, the army. You can, al- you can also watch Black Hawk down 1,000 times is a good way to learn CQB. <laughs> yeah, but then, you just want, then all you want is a Gordon Carbine. Yes. Oh, wait, is that what you're asking yet or not? <laughs> Do you want one? I'd like one, yes, Six please. days' time, I can give you one. He's having, a ki- he's having a kid, man. I'll you're taking the, the food out, the, uh, yeah, taking the food the out of his kid's yeah. mouth. Because you've got the A1. So Yeah, I've got an A1. Okay, yeah, I've got a full upper coming for it. You know, Anthony will be so jealous if you get that. Anthony? Yeah. He wants a... He tried to build one ages ago, but I think he got like halfway through out it. Out of a J9 or something. It yeah. was out of a J9. <laughs> yeah. he, he is super hard for, um, for a Gordon Carbine. <laughs> Let's do one 177 instead, so he has to build a silencer for it and get the wrong optic. Who <laughs> <laughs> can get 9.3 thousand nowadays? Seriously, nobody. Uh, if I'm actually on a page for specifically Black Hawk Down. <laughs> <laughs> not, not even joking. It's obviously like 90% airsoft, 10% reenacting, and like I know there's definitely at least one or two gel ballers in there. It's you, isn't it? Yeah, there's me and there's another guy, but the point of the story is... is it's Anthony, Anthony, isn't it? Probably. It's Steve, uh, isn't it? Aim point three thousands are like nigh impossible to get now unless you've got serious money to buy. I'm three D printing one. Well, that'd be cool. <laughs> that'd be all right. I could live with that. I'll just go with an M eighty one or something instead. Yeah. I, I have a three D printed mall on my AK just to make the worlds different and annoy people, <laughs> but it looks cool. It's because I used it in Ghost Recon and then I had oh, to have one. Good. Oh good. <sighs> Ghost that, Recon breakpoint. Do not make me talk <laughs> about how the Chinese Dual ball industry looks at computer games and goes, "That's what we must make. This is why we don't have a Sten gun. Mm. This is why we don't have a PBSH or a uh, M3 grease gun." I thought no one wanted the M3. I'd like an M3, the M3 or the M3A1 or the M3A1.1 or no. one of those Filipino ones with the um, rails and the big integrated silencer. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of gross. rails, <laughs> rails for days. Join us. If you do have a market for variety, so be it. But even I can't answer the question of what the people want. So they want rails. You <laughs> <laughs> want railed in a second. surf weapons. Multicam rails. Look, an M240 Bravo would be nice, but yes, it'd be a two grand blaster, I reckon. Yeah, and, and no one wants an M240 tractor. They want a PKM. No, we don't. We want, I don't have a PKP. We want both. Okay, yeah, we want both. <laughs> if Roof Fall is Mark 19. Be, do you want an AGS-17 too? Yes, and an AGS-30. <laughs> and a BTR-80. Yeah, you're going to ask for an A-10 <laughs> next. Oh, well, if you got it. SU-25. I've got to build the gun first to then build the A-10 around. <laughs> Imagine a gel blaster that shot a 25mm bowl. I wish those <laughs> I wish those big 40mm gels were solid enough to shoot. 
Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Where are the tag grounds? I was actually yeah. talking to Mark Butman about that a couple of days ago. So the ago. question here is, back to Mills' office, will there be any allowance for the use of noise-making devices? Don't see why not. Bang 22s? At like at a specific <laughs> sim event, I have no problem with that stuff. Since we're talking so much about immersion, don't just focus on just gel, gel blasters in general as, the, as your rifles, <coughs> but... Right. Gel, gel blasters is the weakest part of the immersion, and having those bang twenty twos going off, your direct and fire weapons, you know, yeah. direct yeah. Fire. and thunder bees going off every couple of minutes, you'd hear one sometimes, yeah. and Water added fire to more. the immersion so much. Yeah. The the only reason I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm anti, but I'm resistant to those things at a a weekend game is people aren't ready to expect it. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the that's the hesitation I have is if it lands next to somebody and they end up having a bad night's sleep, that's too much for me. Yeah, no, look, I'd agree. Like, most pickup games, there's kids around anyway. Mm. Like, to me, a, a day pickup game is for everybody. Yeah. And then Millsoft is probably for someone at yeah, least... I, I don't want to see 12-year-olds running around going... <laughs> yeah. 12-year-olds with polar stars. Yeah. Yeah. Burning your patch. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We've gone to a dark place. Darkness. <laughs> so, if there was one gun, one blaster, one whatever, doesn't matter whether it's from the real world, a computer game, or whatever, what is that? And you could say, yeah, let's get a thousand of those made. We'd have it tomorrow. What would it be, Damien? I know what it is. I'm already getting it, so <laughs> <laughs> that's an easy one. What is it? LK58. Oh. <laughs> no, something that doesn't exist. There's another one that you've got in mind that's from Stuff Heat. If we could do a Galil. Oh, yes, definitely a Galil. That a would Galil. be, yeah, my wet dream right there. Zach? Uh, mine would be a PKP. Some kind of crew-served weapon where I could trust that if I'm holding down the trigger for two minutes at a time because it's gel ball. It's not going to break and it's not going to overheat. It's probably going to have to have a fan that turns on to blow air through too the much. motor. You know, you can hide that stuff in this space. No, I'm not. It, I have it in airsoft. I reckon uh, that's a hard one. I'm tossing R- up between Rob's like, two. I don't know so many guns I love. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see uh, an M14, actually, a proper timber and... Old school M14. Yeah, like proper one. Not a grand. No, I'd probably take the 14 more. Just because I really love that USMC Vietnam aesthetic. That's topaz. You've got an M2 one it for that Black Hawk Down aesthetic. That that too, you can really combine them. You can use it for multi multi roll. So why don't you why don't you grab one of the bin fang Mark 14s and get a wooden sock and go at it? Because I'm lazy. Fair enough. So, Damo, if you've got some time to do some dremeling, you can make two grand out of this fella. <laughs> Shane? Wow. That's a very hard question, but let me think very quickly. Come on, I, I did you last so you could have all the thinking time. Dum, 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 dum. Don't you have that on your soundboard? Ultimax. <laughs> Ultimax. The I know Ultimax. what the Ultimax is, and from a Forgotten Weapons knows, nobody else on the planet knows. So you better tell people what the Ultimax is. Ultimax is a Singaporean-made section automatic weapon that fires. It is not the F-89. It is not the saw. It is very different. It's a saw that's not incredibly heavy. 
And Ooh. recoil is really, really mild. Actually, can I change? I'd really like a stoner. <laughs> a stoner? Yeah, a stoner. 63. Yeah, stick to 63 stoner. That'd be dope. Yeah, There's some like people out there going, what are you talking about, gun freaks? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there yeah. is. I'd like to see Ultimax 100. Because it's such a unique weapon. And you say no one knows what it is. I'm pretty sure it's been in a cod. So I mean, <laughs> forgot the Yeah, I don't think so. Unless somebody in Vegetato was carrying it. Hmm. Yeah, definitely the Ultimax. <laughs> but Vegetato, not sure. <laughs> but what kind of beret would you wear? Is the important question. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about the beret. About the beret. About the beret. No. Play the uh, Zach sound effect again, Tractor. <laughs> that With that being funny. said, we should support. The new CEO of the Jeff Justice as much as you can. Gakus. Um, so you ready for mine? The oh, China yeah. Lake M79. Yes. China Lake. China Lake. It is a pump action. There was only 24 ever made. The Navy SEALs used it in Vietnam. Golf it is an M79 three-round pump action. They were epic. The, the guys in the States are doing a repair of them now. I thought that fell through because they had like a contract to make it for the Marines and then they fucked it all up. Sorry. I don't know. I'll ask Gun Jesus. He'll know. I would like an MGL 40, the six shot revolver grenade launcher. Uh, LDT and another company are both working on one right now. Yeah. And, and there's also the, um, the A world where you could look at getting one from. You can, but you can't. It's one of those complicated red tape things. You need the factory to put a sticker that says gel blaster use on the factory, on the um, box. Yeah, look, years ago when I talked to police about it, they were talking about making it a slightly different calibre so that you could guarantee that um, a, an airsoft cartridge wouldn't go in the hole. Um, I don't. I haven't researched that since... Damien's looking at me because we're having a conversation earlier, but I haven't researched whether that's still a thing or not with the changes in legislation. Um, would I like an AGL? Absolutely. With some pecker rounds and mm. maybe some paladins. The smoke peckers. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, you could just put random rounds in there and just have it come out at <laughs> random times. That'd be like, like a party surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There was a there was a pistol in a movie I can't remember. That was Triple X. We used to go. Oh, he'd pop it out and go. Oh, I'll rotate it around to this cylinder now and use that gun. He's <laughs> doing that with a revolver. Um, yeah, yeah. The complication with all that stuff is like CO two is okay, but as long as it fires a gel, so there's some complications there that can be a bit hard to get across. I, I sort of wonder if we're going to get to the stage technology-wise in a couple of years where we've got gel balls that you hydrate and they grow from six millimetres unhydrated to, to seven to seven millimetres and they'll basically be hard BB gels. I, I think... I don't think the police or government would let that happen. They'd get to a point where they go, sorry, we're not going to let you do that. We're going to do whatever we can to stop it. Um, and if I think if we're going to get to that point, we may as well just go, all right, Dear world, we've been doing this for a couple of years now. We haven't killed everyone. Not every second rapist is shooting people with gel blasters. Let's let's consider a, a limited trial. Let's do it like paintball where we go, okay, a field can have airsoft rifles. It must be stored at the field the same way paintball is treated in Queensland now. You can go there, you can pick up a rifle, you can use it on the day, a bit like a rental blaster, and put it back. 
And if we can make that work for a year, then let's look at licensing people. I, th- I think that graduated response yeah, is the I only way to prove to government that we can do it safely. Everyone usually agrees that they'd be all for airsoft if um, licensing was in play. Mm. Oh, sorry, I should say, if licensing was used for airsoft, everyone seems to agree that um, they'd be all for it and make it happen. So, And it would, wouldn't necessarily need to be a full firearms-type licence. There no. are plenty of licence categories that exist that aren't that level of support. Like, for instance, if you want to fly your drone, you've got to get a licence to fly that... With some exceptions, I'd like to see weapons licensing branch be the responsible people for it, <laughs> but but it to have a totally separate category and function that does not relate to category A through E T H R M. Um, that you can't go. All right, this license means the same as that license. I can just get extra codes. I think it should be maybe more like the Ucara type style, where you go and get a Ucara in the UK, and you can then buy. Here, here's my card, I can buy one. I think that's the model. When Everyone I've talked to in the community, that's sort of been the model that's been preferred because mm. it's acknowledgement that unregulated buying an airsoft, uh, airsoft gun at the shops at mm. Kmart probably isn't the best. Hey, we used to... When I was younger, I bought a 22 at Kmart without a permit, without a licence, used my driver's licence. And somehow and you weren't killed. Well, our culture has changed somewhat since then. Um, would I like to go back to being able to do that? Absolutely, but it's not a reality. Mm. I don't think it's fair on society to ask mm. to do that. Is legislation actually there to cater for airsoft? Um, it, airsoft firearms. is written into the Firearms Act yep. in every state. Um, they call it soft air, not airsoft, because th- reasons. I think airsoft was a trade name at the time that it was written <laughs> in, so... I think people just didn't understand what it was. Yeah, yeah, that works that too. Yeah, I don't think I don't really think the government understands it or wants to even know about it. Usually, anything firearm related, they don't, they don't even want to touch it. So, if the firearms community can't get it over, and a community one tenth of that size wants it to happen, unless we get the firearms community to be in agreement with the way we're doing it, it's never going to happen. That's and, it. And I always say that. A lot of people aren't necessarily willing to accept that gel blasters are, they may not be replica firearms, but they are replicas of firearms. And the state can make a pretty reasonable argument for having a need to regulate access to that to varying extents. It's not an unreasonable position to hold. It's Mm. it's where they go with it after that that can make an unreasonable. 2017, I would have argued black and blue that this thing is a toy it's a children's toy and there's no place to not have that discussion. But I think we're at a point now where we it, we can't morally argue that as successful as we could back then. Mm-hmm. I, I think the big thing is you always got to, if you want to understand the, f- the background behind it, is look at it as if you're a police officer. Mm. And that's, that's all you can do. Like everyone who sits there, oh, these are still just toys and you're like sitting there going, that's a metal receiver with a PMAG in it and optics... You know, if a cop pulls you up randomly in the street and pulls his Glock and pulls yeah, the trigger, this reaction is yeah. always going to be defensive. Or That's even right. just think about it: if you're a, if you're a worker at a servo, you're working the night shift, and someone comes in with a knife, that that's all, and holds up your store. That's terrible, and you're very likely to, you know, possibly be traumatized by that. If someone comes in with a really realistic gas-looking pistol. Mm. That's going to be a worse scenario still for people to manage the trauma from that. It's not just 
people being a soft cock or something like that. It, it, threatening people with, with weapons that, or weapon-like things is a real thing that traumatises people in situations and without proper regulation, that is a scenario that will occur. And you can say, oh, well, yeah, I can go to the toy world and buy a cap gun and do the same thing. And that's true, you can. But a cap gun is a less realistic facsimile of an actual weapon than a gel blaster. I don't think the average Australian agree with it. I would think that the average Australian doesn't doesn't have the cultural experience of what firearms are the way they did when I grew up. Oh, yeah. If you go into a servo in Sydney with a, a cap gun... Maybe not Sydney. Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> not Western Sydney. You know what I'm saying, though. I, I go into a populated area with a Glock SKD and walk into a servo with that and I point that at somebody... 99% of Australian citizens would go, he's got a gun. He's going to kill people. And frankly, that's a fairly realistic take for yeah. 99% of the people, especially if you only see it quickly or for a split yeah. second you or it's dark or you're tired and scared because you work at a servo and it's 2am. Yeah. You don't even need to go that far. We can all remember the the digger who, two was it two, three years ago, who oh, was, was a running... Bit, a bit longer. Oh, was it? Was yeah. it just it was about out. 10 years ago now. He was oh. running around a nogger with a piece of wood in. cut into shape, vaguely it, into it, the shape it of was a steel. It was a steel. It was a steel pipe. But the thing is, he was with. He had a backpack on, he had the Australian Army uniform on, and he was just running, and someone called the police. And that was enough to st- send in, you know, a couple of squad cars and, and police and weapons. what I remember about that too is because he was quite fit and running so fast. He was training for the car. Yeah, it was car. Yeah, yeah, it ended up getting called in multiple times and escalated that the police thought there was multiple armed individuals because they couldn't imagine someone could be in three suburbs in the space of five minutes. Well, the, the worst case scenario about that is that digger was charged, went to court, and they the charges held up. Oh, really? Yeah, he, the army did not protect him in any way, shape, or form um, because they said this is a civil matter. It's got nothing to do with, even though it was doing PT and he was a full-time soldier and all that stuff. Um, for better or worse, he he had criminal charges as a result of that because he scared people. And the, the, the like cha- for me, like I, I did that shit in the 90s. I trained with the same thing and tried the Carter course and did all that and failed miserably. I, I never got there, but um, it, it, our culture has changed so much. Oh, yeah. the, the charge is going armed so as to cause fear and armed is defined as a reasonable person could de- could determine that that was a weapon. And if a reasonable person, as the court decides, a gel blaster is reasonably a weapon for mm. a reasonable person to decide if they see one. So Yeah. And it's a bit like your old fella. If you don't get it out at the wrong times, you're never going to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes back to stop and think. <laughs> I wish a few people did. Always yeah, wear man. eye protection. <laughs> It's a bit like religion. I treat religion like a cup of tea. If you go up to somebody and say, "Oh, would you like a cup of tea?" and they say no, that's where it should end. Yeah, and, and gel blasters the same. Oh, would you like to see it? No, not really interested. Yeah. Leave it at home. Gel blasters are my religion. Yeah, well, oh, that was that was cringy even for me. I'm sorry. Yeah, get the wah 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 out again. <laughs> I deserve that. <laughs> Back when Zach was a brainiac. Mm. Anyway, so how long are we going for? Where are we up to? 1830. I just got to unlock the computer to see how long. 
I want to make this the longest podcast now we're at. We're on the brink. Now, you did press record at the start, didn't you? <laughs> well, the, the wave function on here says that it's recording, but I can't hear it. Oh, that's good. Well, I, I can hear Zach in the background about 40 yeah. metres away going, the gel ball, the no, gels, help, yeah, help, the Mill soft pockets. And I, and I think somebody's gone to sleep in the corner. <laughs> it has been a long My way. eyes are open, my brain is off. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you at work. But a boom. Do you have a. Do you have. Yeah. I try not to use them too much. They get overused. But it's entertainment a little bit, isn't it? It is. It is yeah. it's, definitely entertainment. It's, it's a cheap shot, but it's always funny. <laughs> <laughs> so what else can we talk about, Gel Ball? Um, at EP 1.5, we trialled mixed weapons. We trialled laser with um, gel blasters. What do you think about that? I never even saw the laser. That's right, because you left because early. Left yeah, early. Yeah, you didn't do all the fun stuff. I don't know what else I saw working, though. You didn't see us kill the vehicles with it? I think I did... I did see the demonstration, but I don't think I really saw it kill the vehicle. Because well, I think I was probably getting shot anyways. I think the good <laughs> thing is, are we going to go down that road of starting including vehicles? Yeah, absolutely, I am. Yeah. Absolutely, there, there's a lot of risk involved. Um, whether it's perceived a real risk is another question. Um, but I've engaged somebody professional in the risk management world and said, "You, you look at this separately from me." Um, so it can be a bit more realistic. Yeah. Obviously, th- there are complications that come with vehicles, but at the end of the day, the Americans can do it without killing hundreds of people. And if they can do it without <laughs> killing people, we can probably get it right. Yeah. So they really got me excited as airlifts in Milsims. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did have um, lined up for EP 1.5 yeah, a, yep. uh, a UH1H, um, but the guy crashed it. About a week before oh. and killed himself. So oh wait, was that that one that was hanging around uh, Redcliffe? I think. Yeah, yeah no, it, it operated out of Archerfield, and it was a full first air cav replica yeah, yeah, made, yeah, made out of an Australian one that yeah, had I, actually been in Vietnam. I saw that, and they, yeah, they crashed they it. Being hard on, and he killed down near Newcastle. It crashed. Um, yeah, he was doing coastal stuff. And yeah, some smoke and bad weather. And yeah, and the passengers were killed too, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's a shame because it was a really nice helicopter, oh, yeah, like that was super clean replica. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, I also spoke to um, Haas, who have got a caribou that is allowed to fly still, um, but unfortunately they can never have a passenger on the aircraft <laughs> because of the limited registration yeah. it's got. But how epic would it be for a caribou to go <laughs> and land at an airfield that you're at during a milsim? Oh, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Well, <laughs> yeah. But the problem is it's down at friggin' the other side of Sydney. So paying for the fuel and transit for it to get here. Yeah, it's probably weeks. Weeks. Track all, that that all, all I want is the air-conditioned command track for me to ride around in. <laughs> you can have a UCAV instead of a CAV. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd literally like, uh, being a mechanic by trade and into this military stuff, I really like to see vehicles get integrated at some point, safely, obviously. Yeah. Um so we did some testing at EP 1.5 with vehicles and we had a couple of utes, 4 yep. by 4 ones. And yes, they really used them. Well, they, weren't they, had them. they weren't quite practical because dropping off three guys along the limited routes we were allowed to use as well wasn't that useful. Like, And you can't... We're not in Africa, so we can't put 25 guys <laughs> in the back with a heavy weapon as well. Well, possibly. Well, it was forbidden. Let's yeah, put it that that's way. Right. <laughs> Maybe um, if we if we knew someone 
that had maybe like a World War Two deuce and a half. Someone well, I've never been able to find somebody with a deuce and a half that's oh. got the passenger seats in it that is also willing to take it to an event. Oh. That also positive. wasn't broken uh, down. No, my the deuce run. and a half runs. It's got to run. Yeah, it runs. And be road registered. Oh, that, And that, have road insurance. No, it doesn't have that. <laughs> but it starts, runs, stops, and she's pretty reliable. Yeah, I, I could get an old Interaco that would do the same. Yeah, but they're, they're not a deuce and a half. And yeah, see they're the same. And no see one that, cares about that. That ties into it in that it's just Unilog. not that... It's just not that useful to drop off three guys in the back of a ute anywhere. Like, whereas if you can move a whole section in the back of a vehicle, that becomes a much more tactically useful capability. I I M V. It's all we a need. A bushy, no, an infantry mobility vehicle, the interim ones, which were a six by six with eight or six or various different configurations in the back, Depends which were on there how to try. And the engineering for those seatbelts. Oh yeah. I approve this message. You do see the 6x6 Land Rovers engineered sometimes with seatbelts. The problem is you can't engineer something because Army didn't have the civil engineering tickets, so to speak, for um, when they plated the vehicles for the IIMV. They were running under the Army registration system, which is different to every state. Mm -hmm. Um, And anyone in the Land Rover world knows how nightmarish it is to now register a Land Rover in various states because they go... Well, you can't have that, but you've got to have this and you've got to cut that bit off. And I suppose we want a vehicle that won't break down. <laughs> oh, look, I never had that many problems. Land Rover is just leak oil. They mark their territory. Yeah. I, I know this professionally. They leak oil. Have you as long as you don't get a new one, you Just fine. don't turn it off. <laughs> um, no, look, a 6x6 six six cargo, single cab 6x6 six six cargo with centre seating put in it could be practically used at a private field. Or that exact role. And it's much better than a Unimog or a Mac or a Deuce and a Half because it's so much lower to the ground, people are way less likely to bust an air and an ankle twisting it on the way out. So that, that ties to the insurance question, though. Would you actually be able to use it and still have insurance for it on a field? Uh, yeah, my insurance has the ability, because it's based off an airsoft policy, it has the ability to drop certain okay. things in and out of it. Um, there's a cost involved, as with all insurances, but it's not... Outside the realms of possibility. You know what the vehicle we need is, don't you, Tractor? Uh, is it an Argo? BTR 80. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want a six-wheeled maritime vehicle and people in it going, tra-la-la, tra-la. <laughs> you know what I mean. You and I are the only one that know what that is. <laughs> yeah, I didn't For get that joke. You never... Oh, banana splits? No, no idea what you're talking about. Showing your AGM yeah. Tractor. The Banana Splits was the coolest television show ever. In what, the 70s? Yes. Do you have a tumbleweed blowing through sound effects? This is close. (laughs) That works. Actually, I've got one up here. I don't even know what this one is. (laughs) It won't stop now. I was half expecting it to be porn noises. Yeah, I'm looking at it. Button Stop. Is not responding. Stop talking. There we go. It's because I don't use it often enough. I'm never that funny. But um, I do. I do keep my eyes on Millweb quite a bit for various vehicles that come up in Australia. But um, what do you reckon of that, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you've been, you, uh, you've been there too. Yeah, look, I'm. I obviously troll military vehicle pages all the time. Um, I think a lot of the stuff here in Australia is just soft skin stuff. 
Oh, look, I'd grab a 40 series if I could. Yeah. An X-Normal Force 1, that'd be awesome. Yeah, a lot of Echoes come up, are coming up for sale at the moment for some <laughs> reason. But I don't know if anyone it's wants to go deaf in it. Yeah, well... So is my dad. My dad Anything says, just play it loud, okay? Yeah, my old man did his driver's course on the Echo, and he hated it. He said it was a piece of crap. Yeah, well, I was lucky enough that I got in after '89, so <laughs> everything had happened by then. Oh, you had Max and Uni mugs and all that. Yeah, we had R bangers. I'd buy an R banger tomorrow, Mac. Yeah. Absolutely, I love driving that. My driver's course was driving from Townsville to Cape York, and we went up all the tough tracks and all the terrible hills and all the hard and we did that with max six by sixes mate back then driving the bruce highway was a tough track <laughs> it was it was a one-lane road yeah it was like my old man we drive up the highway all the time and he'll he'll be like oh i remember back in the 90s we used to drive through there yeah <laughs> and like oh there was a town there you'd stop there but mm. you know the guys forgot to recon the route and then it changed to a bypass mm. and we forgot to stop and it's like you forget <laughs> to stop <laughs> okay See, that's why I used to love driving out of Darwin. Nothing's ever going to change between <laughs> there and Alice Springs. Oh. Like, the desert is there, it's there. <laughs> yeah. Driving from Sydney to Darwin in Army Convoy, you don't know pain until you've done that for like 12 days running. Um, my dad drove a Jeep to Geelong from Brisbane. It's probably about the same. It's about the same. Yeah, well, but well, with well, Army people telling you what you can and can't do and eating ration packs. Okay, that's probably not as bad. And an 80... Yeah, because our uni mogs were limited to 80 k's an hour yeah, by the army. My dad's Jeep only does 70. <laughs> we had a guy at EP1, he had a Jeep. He was a really cool guy. That was a cool Jeep too. Yeah, I saw pictures of that. That was that was pretty cool. He had a deuce and a half as well, but it was one of the um, recovery ones. Oh, yeah. So he was going to bring it out for a static display, and I'm like, yeah, it's a lot of money to get it there from Childers, mate. <laughs> that was one of the things at EP1. There was a lot of vehicles driving around that, we didn't necessarily know how we were allowed to integrate, mm. interact with them because, oh, is that an admin movement or can we mm. go and yell at the driver? Especially the um, well, the, the theory buggies. was that if if the hazard lights were on, you couldn't interact with it. Otherwise, you could. People just forgot. <laughs> Except Jet, he had like a strobe light in the roof, and shenanigans everywhere. He loved driving his ute around there. At least he didn't get bogged like somebody else. <laughs> I like that the car that didn't get bogged was the terrible, terrible crap Tiva. Yeah, Jake's car yeah. went through some serious mud. So when when that patrol was bogged, we were actually sitting we were sitting in a in a jungle at the time, like doing an OP, and we could just hear way off in the distance, and we're like, what, the, what is that noise? Is that a cow dying? No, it's called two wheel drive. There's <laughs> <laughs> this little lever. And this other switch I have called diff lock. <laughs> and yeah, when we found out that oh, these were all bogged, and that's when it worked out. It was someone revving the shit out of their uh, terribleness and terrible. It's at the front now. It's not a skyline. Yeah, well, it's because I have taste. When are you going to do an RB swap on? <laughs> no, no. I'd rather put a four point two in it than do anything else, or maybe an LS. Yeah, I'll pay that. So what else can we do to make this the longest podcast I've ever done? I think we should talk about more themed events like Cold War or the Vietnam Conference. Stalker. Stalker. Damo, I'm going to hand it to you for this. I got nothing. <laughs> well, story of life. Well, you need no, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's something Trav and I have been looking at for a while. Um, 
it hasn't got very far, I'll be honest, just because of uh, workload over the past couple of months. Just because you're in retail at Christmas. (sighs) Don't don't talk about the dirtiness. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up or I'll play Christmas carols. <laughs> to horror. Um, to horror. But, yeah, it is uh, – Stalker is something that we want to do. Um, it's being looked at that we'll, we'll run it with uh, an interactive app that will run on your phone. For the uh, young much like the PDA. For the younglings game. at home, you better explain what Stalker was because oh. it, is, it is getting on. Stalker was an original PC game oh, way, way back in the early 90s, I think, from memory. Um where you no, played, it was, uh, played in uh, 2003. Yeah, that's 17 years ago. I, I defer to my nerd on the left. <laughs> uh, the one that actually knows about computer games. Yeah, that one. Um, I just sell them. I don't know anything about them. Um, but the premise was that um, it was after the events at Chernobyl um, and that there were... Uh, Anomalies is what the the words they coined with them, but it was basically the things that were brought in from like a subspace realm or something uh, that had great value on the black market. And basically you were uh, a stalker out to find these things and you had to deal with uh, enemy patrols and radiation radiation and uh, other kind of uh, events and mutants and all that kind of stuff. So we're looking at trying to adapt as much of the game as we can into a... A Millsoft event. Yeah, the the point we're at now will essentially require at least one person in your team to mount their um, mob- smartphone to their blaster so that you can see augmented reality. If you've um, if you've played Metro twenty thirty three, the yeah, aesthetic yeah. from that is really yeah, similar to similar. the aesthetic from Stalker. Um, that ties into an event that Summer Donbass went to last year called Post Shock, which is a full... Um, Track has a big smile on his face now. Uh, it's a full, very cringe LARP, <laughs> post-apocalyptic LARP event where you run around with Nerf guns and LARP weapons and gel blasters and... Cast spells at each other. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But it's um, all... It's compared to... Compared to a Millsoft event, it leans much more heavily in, onto the role play side of things. So you spend a lot of time to the point of rolling dice. Yeah, the dice is very rare. It's only for nerd. Like <laughs> you went and played, didn't you? The huh? dice were made of asbestos. Rob, does that make it better for you? No, need special gloves to wear them. Well, they said you're not allowed to use a full automatic blast, and I was like, no thanks, I'm not coming. They're not interested. But it was actually really enjoyable from a roleplay perspective because you developed your own fun in how you engaged with the world. So, for instance, our team had um, our, our post-apocalyptic uniform. We decided, we oh, yeah, we decided it's summer. Let's wear hazmat stuff. So we went and got paint suits and wore those under our gel blaster gear and wore gas masks for about an hour until it was too damn hot. But, you know, we're walking around talking in Russian accents the whole time and then... We do stuff like, oh, there's a guy we want to arrest over there so we can throw him into jail. We'll go up and be all pretend to smile and like, oh, yes, hello, comrade. We just want to talk to you. Unfortunately, you are under arrest. And we all pulled out blasters. And, and you know, it's like you're coming with us. We dragged him into jail and yelled at him for 20 minutes and then let him go. But that sounds like fun. <laughs> it was. <laughs> oh, look, 
Look, um, it's, it's no different to pretending to talk in the radio for 36 hours and sleeping under a tent for no reason. Uh, look, Flashpoint certainly has a lot more of that element to it and the mill simmers are very uh, when it comes to Flashpoint, but I tried to, to do a much more gel blastery version of that um, and uh, people are asking for more, so I'll probably do that again. We've noticed that certain sides in gel ball seem more resistant to the role play side of things than others and uh i think we were we already covered this a bit but if you're dressing up in full delta blah 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 you want to be the winner of your story and and there's less scope. it's hard to be the hero if you're not playing the game yeah that's right and there's less scope when that occurs to engage with things because it doesn't matter if you're playing if you're doing a role play type thing where you're playing a role and you know, pretending to be whatever, it doesn't so much matter if you die or win or lose is because the fun is in the the pretending to be whatever. So at K5, uh, I went up to Rob's squad at one stage in my cop uniform and... and <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Rob's, Sorry, my Rob's story's like he's boring. got a baby at home already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, went up to Rob and, you know argued with him about my warrant giving me authority to come into this area or not. And, you know, he could have shot me uh, and commit some war crimes. <laughs> and it wouldn't have mattered if he did because it would have been a fun experience and a fun story to tell anyway, regardless of winning or losing, the, the fun's in the story. I, I, a lot of people asked me, even before EP1, I said, well, if you could be on a side, what you would you be on? And I said, absolutely, I would play the militia. And they're like, oh, but you were in the army for... Years, I said, yeah, this is everything. Why would I do what I did for 12 years when I'm having fun? I, I want to try and be the, the other guy, the, the underdog, the different perspective. That's what I wanted. Yeah, I think that's the good thing, like, because John Bass always plays Op 4, Green 4, anything but Blue 4. And I think anyone who's sort of on that side of the fence ends up just having, I think, more fun because it's more about having the fun rather than being a super Navy SEAL, Ranger, Delta Force guy. We played Militia 1.5. It was good fun. With the yeah, you played Militia for a while. <laughs> <laughs> then we gave you the operators. He's got nothing. He's gone silent. <laughs> anyway, lots of things we can do in the future. Future's looking bright. It's not 2020 anymore. Mm. This is Happy New Year, everyone. Mm. So yeah, we're uh, we're still closed until the twenty first. Please spread the word because I've I've had so many phone calls every morning this weekend. It is um, people are keen to get bad blending. Oh, look, I'm going to divert my phone to Wounded Heroes. I swear, because we've actually set up one of those virtual PA things where they can answer the common questions. Um, so yeah, the phone number might change for Mills East. What is your phone number tractor just for all the viewers? I five five one eight one eight. That's from Newcastle, if anyone knows. Mm. All right, so I think I'm done. What about you guys? Yeah, well, for the moment, anyway. Yeah, I think I'm done because we just passed two hours, twenty two minutes, and twenty two seconds. I, I never had anything of value to add, anyway. But uh, I have even less to add now. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. <laughs> I'm a bit slow on the buttons. Got to work on the timing. Yeah. Yeah, well, ask my wife. (laughs) 
But Come on, that would have been a good opportunity. Oh, look, 19 years we've been together. We're still not married. Just ask. Wah, wah. Yeah, but she was an officer and I was not a gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot better. <laughs> yeah, but that was like preemptive. It wasn't off the cuff. All right. So uh, thanks, everyone, for coming. It's, Thank you. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on board. And uh, thanks for kicking the goal of the longest podcast thus far. Thanks for uh, inviting us in to listen to our ramblings and rantings. Yep. Yeah, thanks, and thank you, to, thank you for our Patreon supporters. And we apologise in advance. And don't forget to click mm. like and subscribe. Um, yeah, I, I will shout out to my nearest Patreon supporter. It is the Urban Gel Ball Field. They are now an executive producer with the amount of money that they're putting in. It's amazing how much this stuff... And anyone that's in the room with me can look at the price of all the stuff that we've got here. It's all paid for out of my pocket. So if you can throw me a buck on Patreon, I'd really appreciate it. You don't have to throw me a million dollars, but a dollar here or there would certainly be handy because I'd certainly need a couple more mics because there's like more and more people coming on. Um, so, yeah, I'll put a link to that in the uh, description of the podcast. I'll put one to the Rus4 group. I'll put one to MSSA. Milsim Supplies Australia. Just MSA. Milsim's one word. MSA. Milsim. Milsim. Milsim Supply Australia. Three words. Three letters. Ask Martin to say Milsim. He gets all confused and keeps contracting it to Muslim. He's like, I didn't understand for the first year. And I'm like, you thought we were Muslims? What? (laughs) And you're a Rus4 now, so I can't put anything else in there for you, can I? Rus4. Rus4. Just a general... Job ball player, just trying to have some fun. You can put a link to the Soviet national anthem for Shane. Okay, I'll do that. Um, if you're out there in the community and you think you've got something to add or something that's worth listening to, uh, reach out to me, Travis at woundedheroes.org.au. I'm happy to have just about anyone on the podcast. I, I don't care if you own another field or a shop. I'm absolutely interested in talking to you. I can travel to you as long as you're not in Adelaide because they'll take away all my bastards. Or New South Wales at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, I had to do a. I, w- I was down in New York while I was over Christmas, and I had to do a mercy dash back here before they shut the borders. Uh, <laughs> I thought twenty twenty one was the year of no coronavirus. All right, we've babbled on enough. So, it's my old mate Kevin McLeod with Cantina Blues, and we're playing it out. Mm-hmm.